Hey, TJ. Yeah. I want to say something very important here. Do it. I agree with you. Whoa. whoa. Did the space time continuum just whoa. rip apart? I felt a is ripple. This, is this real life? What is this? What is going on? Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. Welcome to episode 100 of the Movie Bite Podcast. We're going to talk about some movies, some movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. This is episode 100, and we're recording on Wednesday, August the 6th, 2014. I'm your host, TJ, and joining me today is the Rocket Raccoon and Groot duo of Joe Darnell and Mikey Fizzle. What's up, guys? Good evening, TJ. I am Groot. You are Groot. So that I'm would, that proud would... to be Rocket. Yeah, I was gonna say that would make Joe rocket. Well, I kind of um, wanted to be four, rocket, but once yeah, once Joe didn't take the I am Groot line, I figured like one of us had to do it. So, so um, as a change, normally I put the uh, show opening music in in post, and you don't hear it when I when we record, um, just because that's easier, and I have to ride the fader and all that good stuff. And uh, I I actually played it for you because because for episode one hundred, you probably heard a difference in the music. I put together something new, uh, something that we're going to move forward with. I've gotten some pretty positive feedback from it from those people that I've sent the the preview to. What did you guys think? Did you like it? I liked it 100%. You know, uh, did, and I noticed that you were flopping back and forth between quotes between uh, protagonists and, and villains there. Uh-huh. Was that intentional? It was. Nice. Yes. Mm. What did you think, Mikey? Uh, I feel like me and Joe have been having these Facebook conversations about production recently, and I just described to him what I wanted my what an updated intro for my podcast would sound like, and I think he just told you what that was, <laughs> and you did it. <laughs> so you like it? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Like, I don't. I mean, I would have obviously chosen a couple, probably different quotes, but I mean, that was the gist of it. You know, have something that kind of got people ready for what you're going to do, and I think that worked. You would have had Luke screaming instead of Dark Vader saying, "And look, I am your father." Yeah, yeah I, th- I think there's a, I think there's, there's two parts of me, and they're they're warring with each other when I think about doing something like that. It's do I just have iconic quotes, you know, the, the classic movie film intro, or do I have quotes that obviously sound like they're talking to one another? So, yeah. and that that's the comedic part of me the the one that typically wins out unless i'm trying to do something serious and i have to think about it more well we've but already I, done the former so you have to do the latter because we've got copyright controls on you know <laughs> that, that that's done it's done and over with I, i've got to go to some legal sites hold on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um i've I, i'm not necessarily i mean it served us well for 100 episodes our theme music and i think it's recognizable and whatever uh, but it, was, uh, it did well for 99 tj you're right 99 99 you didn't have like a like a fake episode one like the the pre-launch episode we didn't we we have every episode we have recorded is out on the website 
Um, speaking of which, um, I, I think we've earned this. This is episode 100, guys. Can you believe it? This is episode 100. Um, I think we've earned this. Oh, I should mention before we, we talk about what we've earned. Uh, uh, Chad is really, really disappointed that he couldn't be here tonight. Uh, some stuff came up in his uh, personal life. And, you know, we, we don't we don't begrudge him that, you know, if, if that, you know. Whatever. If he thinks we're not worth, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, he he wanted to be here tonight, and he couldn't be here, so he's really disappointed. Um, we may see him next week, but the, basically, his personal life is very, very um, busy right now. So um, we we may see him next week. We may not. We'll have to see. Um, so uh, stay tuned on that that front. But I'm I'm glad to have you guys here because you guys have been uh, pretty. You know, especially you, Joe, have been like a staple of the podcast. And lately, Mikey, you've been you've been a pretty good staple of the podcast too. So I'm glad to have you both with me today for episode 100. I just gotta say, chadadada, wherever you are, we're thinking about you, and we sure hope you can come back and visit us on the podcast sometime. Yeah, I mean, you know, he kind of saved me from doing a podcast by myself when you bowed out for a while, Joe. We should have a special episode every now and then just to talk about soundtracks. We probably should, huh. and I'm sure he would be happy to be on that. So, Well, I mean, occasionally there there are the lulls. Even though they are spreading the movies out more and more throughout the year, there, there always seems, especially on a weekly podcast, it seems like you could probably fit one in, you know. I always, a- I always think that I have these special episodes I want to do, but A, they do take a little bit more planning, it seems like, and, you know, rather than just, hey, I'm going to go see whatever's the latest movie in the movie theater. We, I mean, we obviously plan these things out, and I've got a, you know, on the Trello board that's a mile mm-hmm. long of the thing that's coming out, but it just, so far, it just hasn't quite worked out. There's always something new I want to review, usually, so... Except anyway, for those weeks that you take a you take a week off, Mister Slacker Pants. Yeah, it's true. I had to take I had to take a vacation. I just had to do it. So we, uh, you've only taken one vacation out of fifty some weeks. Is that right? Um, I, I'm. Let's see. I've actually because of vacation have missed like two weeks uh, out of one hundred episodes. That'd be one hundred weeks, Joe. Ah, oh, that's absurd. Yeah. So I felt like I deserved it. Anyway, wait. So is there is there are, well is there are there any podcasts that you actually have not been on? There DJ? are two. Because there are okay, two. So you, that's what you're saying. Yes. Not because I thought the movie bite had missed more than just two weeks. Oh no. Well, I'm, when I say missed, I'm talking about movie bite actually missing a week. Not not that that an episode wasn't recorded. Not the one that I wasn't okay. on. Because right. uh, there there have been two episodes. As far as I know, there's only two episodes that I was not on. Um, which is fine. It's not, it's not all about me. It's, it's just mostly about me. <laughs> well, I think 98% is mostly about you. I yes. think that's fair to say. Yeah, there you go. 98% is a pretty good, uh, pretty good batting average. Yeah. If you transpose all the letters in movie bite, it makes up TJ's name. So, um, I, I want to get back to what I was talking about of what we've earned. And I think that a retrospective over the last 100 episodes, we won't, I don't, well, I've got quite a few clips here actually, but hopefully we won't bore you. I think you will find this fun. I actually kind of got lost a little bit and thought I was going to be late when I realized that I was kind of di- you know, falling down, tumbling down the rabbit hole of kind of going back to our older episodes and, and listening and thinking, wow, we've, we've really kind of improved. <laughs> um, so I just want to play for you. Uh, the opening of the very first episode that you and I, Joe, ever recorded. It's the very first podcast I was ever on and that I ever recorded and that I ever did. And I was really nervous. I remember that. And uh, <laughs> Why it, are you bringing this up? Why? Because I'm about to play it for you. This is a retrospective. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. You guys ready? Uh, never ready for this. <laughs> I'm excited. I, whoops. I, I, uh, I jumped the gun. I didn't realize you, you deleted saying. it, right? We can move on. Yay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I evaluate all the time now that Batman uh, begins and the Dark Knight are so popular and so many people love them. You, it's, it's, you're hard pressed to find somebody who hates those films. And so 
I evaluate all the time. Am I, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Why do I like these films? And so I, and I look at him and he's like, yes, these are really good films. And so the, the part of me goes, oh, I have hope for, for humanity. All these people who watch these reality TV shows, maybe they're not so, uh, <laughs> maybe it's not so bad after all. <laughs> maybe they do have a little bit of sense in there somewhere. <laughs> All right, so there's the old music. Wow, you sounded so young and like you know, know. juvenile back then. Yeah, can can you can you tell a difference? What? Yeah, happened? your, your voice is deeper. So there's a little <laughs> bit more to this clip that I uh, wanted to play. Let me see if I can find it. I, I'm just kind of scrubbing through a quick time here, so bear with me. Good. Yeah, it's funny we're talking to each other like we haven't been talking to each other. So that seems a little unnatural. <laughs> it does, but uh, you know, hey, you know, we we ha- we did start we did start this conversation several minutes ago, so I'm sure that's not yes. a surprise to our listeners. So anyway, just uh, trying to figure out what podcasting actually was. <laughs> yeah, that was bot Joe there. And I was kind of thinking about, wait a minute, that's my line. Wait a minute, where, where's that coming from? That's not me. Wait, whoa, that sounds like me. That is me. <laughs> so, Podcastception. So Fizz, have, have you ever, um, had you ever listened to some of the older episodes? I know you were kind of a later fan of the show. Um, I felt like I went back and listened to like, I don't even remember which one it was. I know I listened to like an oldish episode, but I didn't like listen to episode one or anything like that. I think there was one particular movie. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, gosh, I have to go back and look at my podcast feed, but I checked out one and I was like, Oh, you know, it, to me, it didn't really seem that big of a difference. Um, I, I, I don't mean that as a, a critique on what you're doing now, but kind of like, you know, I think when I listen to a lot of podcasts, it's amazing to me that some of these podcasts that have like thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of subscribers, listeners, whatever you want to call them, like their audio quality is so bad. And, and typically the quality of the podcast isn't incredibly better. Maybe they just sound a niche or it's someone who's already popular, but I was really impressed when I listened to the old one because I expected it to be, you know, night and day. And even though you could tell that the quality had improved slightly, it wasn't it wasn't that far off. And I, I was I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, we I've I've actually always focused on quality as much as possible. I, I do think that my my equipment is certainly better than it was when we first started, and I, I can tell a difference in my microphone and, and things. And I have a I have a boom stand now on my desk, so I don't have to you know lean over the desk and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, the biggest difference to me is I can tell how nervous I was. And now I just come in here, I sit down and I record a podcast and it's cool. You know, I, I love doing it. So I, the I mean, biggest not, difference for me is I can tell the TJ doesn't care anymore. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but now. you know, you're joking about that, Joe, but I think that's part of the thing. Like when, when I first started podcasting, the thing that I could not get over, even though in real life, I had no problem divvying out my opinion whether people wanted it or not. Okay? Same here. <laughs> but for some reason, whenever I got behind a microphone, I was like, oh, uh, uh, I, I, why do I have a right to tell people I don't know what my opinion is when, you know, obviously I had no problem doing that in any other context. And so most of most of my first recordings, I sounded very nervous or in my opinion, I sounded very nervous I did. I wasn't readily giving my opinion. I was very on the fence with some things, and it wasn't until I became very confident. I got some feedback about people who were like, "Hey, I like what you have to say. I wish you would have gone further, or you know, really taken a stand for what you said you were, you know, trying to prove or your your opinion about this thing." And I was like, "Okay, well, even if no one listens, I'm having, I'm going to have fun talking about this." And I became more confident, and I think it showed through my podcast. Now, most people who listen to what the podcast I'm doing now probably hopefully won't tell that because I think I was into my podcasting stuff because I've done a, another podcast before real world theology, but you, what was oh, it, gosh, podcast? uh, it was my uh, football podcast, my 
Uh, oh, really? A, yeah, I had an NFL podcast with uh, one of the guests, uh, one of my my pretty regular guests on Real World Theology, Mark, and we did a hundred episodes of huh. a football co- podcast uh, once a week, even during the off season. Is that uh, so, let pylons be pylons? That was let pylons be pylons, and uh, the only reason that we stopped doing it, I mean, besides the fact that it's really hard to get an audience for a super saturated market, was because we wanted to devote more time to you know other things. But if you Enjoy. listen to the first couple episodes of pylons like we're both like uh yeah we really think this team should do well because you know we read some things and it's really great and then by the end we're like <laughs> okay these guys are idiots and people were really enjoying it at the end but you know like i said it was there's a time and a place for everything under the sun whatever all right well, well oh go ahead go ahead joe and then i want to move well, on. i was just gonna say our street cred went up like 10 notches when i heard that we had a guy on our podcast that was into football so yeah, oh. obviously, because I hate football, but, <laughs> well, but <laughs> it's well established. I, I think Ooh, one sports of the, one team. Of, one, one, yeah, <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic song, uh, sports <laughs> team song. You know, my team's better than your team. You know, oh, whatever. Uh, yeah, I just I've always been interested in tons and tons of things, which just makes it really hard to podcast on just one thing. Kind of like what TJ was mentioning a little earlier with the the whole concept of sometimes you want to do a topic show or you want to do a special show, but you know is this podcast a topical show or is it a movie review show and trying to mix everything into one podcast? Yeah. Do you have time to make six podcasts? Uh, I think podcasts are what people say about tattoos. Like once you have one, you want, you're just going to get another one. You know, you got to make that first leap to start that first podcast, but then whoo, yeah, yeah. I mean, them. I actually used to do more podcasts, and uh, the problem is that I, I I was overextended on time, and and now I've got I'm back down to just one podcast, and that is the correct amount for me. Um, for right now in this, at this point in time in my life. So, um, yeah, I want, I want to play a few more clips here. So I'm going to move on, uh, before we, uh, waste our time here. So, um, no, waste our time. That's the wrong word. We're, we're having fun. Wow. So. This is episode 100, <laughs> TJ. You can do whatever you want to. Okay. You've earned this. Yes, I have earned this. Okay. Here we go. We have to go back to the part where you <laughs> left the film to go to the bathroom. I'm so sorry. You're not, uh, allowed, you're not supposed to do that. Do I, that. I took every preventative measure I could. And huh. it still didn't help. I, I, I had to rush to the bathroom when it was over, but I do not leave films to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't either. I'm a man of my principles, but <laughs> that, that was one time I had to. TJ, potty jokes? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I came across that clip. I'm like, we have to play that because, Joe, I st- I'm still, I, I, after listening to that, I'm like, you left a movie to go to the restroom? What is wrong with you? Oh, I'm never going to live this one down. No, I, I think I, I did told it once you. out of like, what, 50 episodes, 50 movie reviews. I do it once and TJ has to find out about it. Well, to be fair, that was episode two, Joe. It was called A Man of My Principles. By the way, the first episode that I played the clip for was Hope for Humanity, episode one. So, yeah, episode two, you're you're trotting off to the bathroom. I'm like, well, what in the world have I gotten myself into here? <laughs> <laughs> with, with this guy that I've barely I've met one time in in real life. Uh, you're IRL. overthinking it. You're overthinking podcasts <laughs> back then. You were too nervous. You didn't know what you were thinking. Um, I, I you know I, I was. Uh, I'm still flabbergasted that you stepped stuff. out of a movie and went to the bathroom. Oh yes, he had been reviewing movies for Movieology for well over a year before we started this podcast. I I had no nerves left when we started movie movie bites. So you know. I didn't care. Whatever <laughs> movies did I Fizz, did I watch a movie today? Help me out know. here. This is this is a sin that he can he can, he can never live down. I, I think there are some biological reasons <laughs> that make it okay, but if at all preventative, 
you should stay in the movie theater the entire time. I mean, think of the other movie patrons that he disturbed getting up and going to the restroom. I mean, like, <laughs> like an animal. Yeah, well, because, based on, you know, based when I'm walking con- by the projector, my whole body covers up the screen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm too tall for this stuff. Uh, well, I was going to say, based on the way most people act in the theater now, I really don't even think going to the bathroom would be noticed compared no, to these cell phones. and it's awful. Other... Uh, I never, I never got a chance to talk about it. I don't even remember which movie it was now, but there was one movie. I was in the theater, and I was so mad at not one, but two people in front of me, on either side of me, several seats away from each other, but like one on my left and one on my right, one row in front of me, both on their phones throughout the entire movie, and they did not dim the screens or anything. I was so frustrated and irritated about that. But The worst I have ever seen was a mother who had out her tablet and was <sighs> like texting the whole time oh, while her toddler goodness. played with toys on the floor oh my gosh in the aisle you need to get those movie. people kicked out <laughs> that even happen? principles principles people <sighs> all right ready uh, move on to the next clip here we go he's a great actor it's interesting though he's this is one of the few movies where he plays a really actually good guy i mean i know he technically he was a good guy in lord of the rings and he did the right thing and i every time i watch the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring i always cry when he dies but he's still not a great character. Like you hate him up until that point. And and most movies that he's in, he tends to play a bad guy. But here he plays uh, a good guy. He's he's one of the good guys. He's wearing the white hat. He's wearing the white hat. That was episode three. I promise I'm not going to play every single. I say we've got a lot of clips to go <laughs> at this rate. <laughs> um. <clears throat> okay. So in the spirit of keeping things moving, uh, here's no. Another. I mean, I think it's obvious that you and I take different approaches for sure. Um, okay. You know, yeah, I, I don't want to sound crazy or anything. I, pr- I probably sound crazy. Well, it's too late for that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that still makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, here's. I don't remember doing that. I'm sure you don't. I'll bet you also don't remember giving your money away twice for a, a movie that you uh, that you shouldn't have done that for. Let's see if we can remember this one. I've only seen you know the Crystal Skull twice. And you, if you I what? wanted to... Whoa, 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 whoa. You've seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skull twice? You gave them your money twice? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I only gave them my money once. I was sorry I did that after I saw the film. I said I will never see this film ever again so long as I shall live. <laughs> yeah, the reason I watched it twice... Well, we, we'll, we won't get into that too deep. But <laughs> I, I, the reason I watched it twice was because I was like, really? Was it really that bad? <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> well, i'm gonna say that that's exactly why that, i saw it a second time i was like no way that one of my favorite franchises in all of history could have been that bad maybe it was just you know it's like sticker shock and then i watched it again i said now i will never ever watch this movie again so yeah i i yeah i i realized the first time i saw it it's like i will never i, I can i please unsee this film I can't believe in either of you. Both of you saw it twice. What is wrong with you people? Whoa, no, I didn't, no, I didn't pay to see it twice. I, I saw it once in a theater, and then I saw it later um, when it came on, like, you know, some movie channel or whatever. And I was like, I'll give it another shot. It's been, you know, it's been months. I've kind of calmed down. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm with the mantra that Joe was laying down there. You know, the, <laughs> the it couldn't have been that bad, right? It Joe was just... Did. Now that we're in the future here, 100 episodes in, this is episode 16. Was uh, I'm sorry, no, that was episode 9 that that was from. Um, do you have a better defense of yourself for this horrible thing that you did by watching it twice? Uh, it was a Steven Spielberg film. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? 
All right, uh, here it's time to make... I've been making fun of Joe, so here, I think it's time to make fun of me. Misa thinks Jar Jar's stupid! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TJ, you, you should never <laughs> use that voice. Um, blackmail, people. We got blackmail on TJ now on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. Thank you. We got it on this episode, too. Yeah, now it's, That's right. it's out there twice. I, I don't know. I'm, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Because <laughs> Jar Jar is stupid. <clears throat> Your kids go around like quoting him all the, di- all the time. My kids, right? I don't know if they've ever seen Jar Jar. Mm, virtual high I've, five, TJ. I believe I've, I, I believe I've protected them from that. Not that I'm like overly opposed to, to them seeing it because they have to make their own choices in life to some extent. Although, as a parent, I do have to help them make those choices. Um, I firmly <laughs> believe be twenty one or older for this one. Properly guiding my children through life, and part of properly guiding my children through life would be to prevent them from liking Jar Jar. <laughs> Amen, brother. Actually, I mean, you have daughters, right? I have two daughters and two sons. Yeah, so, I mean, more so than Jar Jar, I'd be worried about, like, uh, my, my teenage daughter watching, like, the the prequels and, and thinking or coming away in any way and thinking that's what uh, uh, romance looks like. Yes, I know. It's awful. <laughs> speaking, speaking of that, though, interestingly... Um, a young couple that uh, that my wife and I are very uh, that we like a lot from our church um, that have been just been recently married and we're getting to know. Uh, I've, I've known uh, Chris for a while, but um, his wife uh, we've known less amount of time. She's never seen any Star Wars, and so she is the perfect candidate. Although crazy as that sounds, she's wow. like, she's twenty and she's never seen any Star Wars. Um, oh. Crazy as that sounds, she's the perfect candidate for uh, Machete Order. I think I'm going to try it. Yeah. So she Should. she said she's game. Must. So we'll we'll do it. So sounds like he married the wrong woman. <laughs> I know, it's right? Well, he's, he has only seen the prequels. Oh wow! <laughs> he's like I think he's twenty two or twenty three. I don't know for sure. <laughs> Maybe they're perfect for each other. Maybe they can go to a, some. Uh, never mind. I'm just picking now. <laughs> okay, uh, episode twenty three. Here uh, is a clip. Okay, let's see here. Uh, the Hobbit: An Unexpected Journey follows title character Bilbo Baggins as he takes over as captain of the USS Enterprise. No, wait. Okay, that's another thing. <laughs> so that was our our first Hobbit episode um, with uh, Clark Douglas and uh, several others were on that podcast as well. I don't even remember anymore, but uh, yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. You've just been saving these up for the, the what? The last 99 episodes. Actually, I meant to pull these clips um, several days ago, and I've just gotten to it today. So um, this this is um, this episode may not be one of our best. This is episode 42 called One Movie a Year. It may not be our best, but I shall always (laughs) remember it as the height of my podcasting career uh, when I got to do a podcast with Mr. Dan Benjamin. It's 2013. They don't make films like this anymore. Well, what are you going to say? That is wide open for you if you want it. (laughs) But I I mean, keep keep in mind, keep in mind, there's maybe one movie a year that comes out that I think is worth seeing. Worth seeing. (laughs) I couldn't agree with him more, but at the same time, what are we doing here? Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. I don't agree with him on that. But that was that was a lot of fun. I I remember being very nervous about having my podcast, my like the guy in podcasting who is the number one hero of podcasting for me. And I don't think that I did very well on that episode. I was too nervous to do well. And I, you know, he is a very much a type a personality and he's very hard to manage. And, 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 uh, but nevertheless, I had a lot of fun on that episode. So, uh, and I think Joe, that, uh, you were pretty excited about having him on too. 
Heck yeah. I listen to all of his podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I don't listen to all of them because holy cow, 5 by 5 puts on a lot of podcasts. But uh, All of his podcasts. So Mikey. It's me. Uh, I have a clip here that I think you will enjoy. I hope it's from the Pacific Rim podcast. Mm-hmm. One, one of my podcast friends who went to see it with me, um, he, he said that he felt like every time he watched a Jaeger punch a monster in the head, it was like Guillermo del Toro punching Michael Bay in the head and say, that is how you make <laughs> action movies. Show opener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That may be my, still my favorite clip of anything that you've ever said on this, on this episode, on this show. Well, and the, and the worst part about it is because as the aforementioned uh, podcast friend of mine, Mark, he was the one that actually said it. And I was like, hey, I relayed that story. He was like, you stole it from me? He was like, that was a good line. <laughs> I was like, well, I said it wasn't mine. <laughs> I don't remember that part. <laughs> Especially since that part wasn't in the pull quote that I pulled for the cold open. <laughs> I just watched Pacific Rim again for the uh, second time the other day. And I heard a podcast about it. it just came up called the, the Review Podcast. And they had a bunch of people talking about it and geeking out about Godzilla films, uh, you know, yeah. What do they call them? Uh, not a Jaegers, but uh, what's kaiju? the other one? Thank you, Kaiju films. <laughs> they were reviewing an, an assortment of Kaiju films, and Pacific Rim being their favorite, and I could see why. All right, I've only got a couple more clips here, so we're going to move it right along. Uh, this is from episode sixty-eight, Thor score and seven. You should listen more to the Thor score. <sighs> Thor score and seven. Sorry, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody else went there so I could stop being that guy. <laughs> so another one with uh, Fizz. Um, let's see. I have one here from episode 73, the Misty DVD. Here we go. These round things, they're they're kind of a, a, a purplish gold on the bottom, and they make great coasters now. That, that's, that's how I, I was watching The Lord of the Rings at the time. I've heard tales of such devices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, in days of old. Um, under the Misty DVD. Yes. <laughs> What just happened to the show here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, all right, I have one more here. I wanted to get. Uh, I don't think I got everybody that's ever been on the on the uh, podcast, but um, I do have one here from uh, some uh, uh, another. I mean, he was not necessarily a podcasting hero, but he runs a site that uh, that I, I I like the um, the subject of the site. Let's say. I, I, anyway, I'll stop there. Um, anyway, so here is from episode forty, decking Wesley. If you want to show that someone. You know, the, the, the guest character of the week is tough. They have him beat up Worf. And then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> that now we know this guy isn't to be messed with because he could, you know, because if someone, you know, decked Wesley, you know, people would have <laughs> right? But right. If you, but if you deck Worf, you know. I think people, like, oh. some people would cheer if you deck Wesley. <laughs> so it was uh, Anthony Pascal from uh, TrekMovie.com is who that was. And that was, that was a lot of fun. He's been on a couple of episodes and, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I, I still hold to that opinion. I think that most people would be happy to see Wesley get a good decking. <laughs> even now. Two other. What, what, what was that Fizz? I was like, even now. Yes. No, totally. I want to, you know, I think Will Wheaton is, is a, you know, he, uh, I enjoyed his uh, turn on, uh, Eureka for instance, but, uh, at the time, <laughs> I, I don't think it was his fault as much as it was the writing and his character and everything. But anyway, um, this just happened last week, but I, it may be, it may be, I'd have to think about it. I have to go through and, and kind of really study, but this may be my favorite pull quote of all time that I put in the cold open of the show. Here it is. 
and that that's actually a very specific German accent that you hear so often, that very sort of stringent, we are here to study your brain, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> and that's what everybody tends to do. <laughs> uh, making another Nazi joke. It's always, they're so easy to make fun of. Yes. That's it. I'm out of clips, so I can stop boring you guys now. But I had a lot of fun going through those and finding those. And that's episode 100. Really, thanks for coming out, guys. It's been a lot of fun. (laughs) We uh, have a few more things to talk about. (laughs) We're going to have an actual episode of the podcast here now. Um, So without further ado, let's talk about uh, something that happened. that I I, I actually have been offline most of the day because I've been really busy at work, but uh, you guys reminded me and made me aware that Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice has moved to March of 2016. We've we've talked Mm. about this where we wondered who would blink first. I didn't wonder, but people have speculated, well, who's going to blink first? Because Marvel and DC uh, both had films scheduled to come out on the same day. And uh, DC realized that they're not really in a position of power, and they blinked first. <laughs> that's, that's my take on this thing. Um, this is according to Jermaine Lucier over at uh, SlashFilm.com. DC has budged. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice has moved from its May 6, 2016 release date and will now open on March 25th, 2016. Yes, March. It now opens unopposed instead of in a direct showdown with Marvel Studios and Captain America 3. I think it's a really wonderful move because I don't want to have to think about the two films simultaneously and see the publicity going on simultaneously and pick which film I'm going to go see with which friends. And Oh, I I know which film I'd go see first. That's that's easy. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you know, we are going to see both of them here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ah, but man, you know, it just, it's another foretelling, you know, Dawn of Justice. It sounds like Dawn of something else to me. I, I don't. I don't like the looks of this. No, I'm sure you have an opinion, Fizz, that you haven't laid out there yet. Well, no, I just thought this was funny because you know this has been built up for so long as the unstoppable force versus the immovable object, <laughs> and you know who's what, who's going to budge first. And I mean, moving to me is a win-win. It's a win for Marvel because they're going to be unopposed, and it's a win yep. for DC because you know they're going to. This this whole spreading of the movies through the year, it, it's it's happening. And I mean, Captain America this year came out what like the very beginning of April. It was more or less. It was almost a March movie. And yeah, they they were able to basically run not only unopposed on the date that they came out, but they had two or three weeks minimum of next to nothing, even close to comparing. So I mean, when this comes out, it should have almost a full month of, of runtime before it gets anything that should really eat into its, its ability to make money. So uh, ultimately it's about the, the bottom dollar and I, you know, you, you can read into it and say they, they got scared, but I think they're going to make more money this way. So they can be like, well, we're really, 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 really rich, scared people. So congratulations. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't disagree completely. I, um, yeah, they're both going to make money. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, if you were to pit the two against each other, I think Marvel has way more momentum and is going to make, it would, would have been the winner, um, would have been the, the less losing side of, of the proposition of both of them opening on the same day. You're, but you're absolutely right in that this is a win-win situation for everybody. And I'm, I'm just glad that DC realized they're not really in the position of power here. I don't think that's true. I honestly think if these two films went head to head, I think Batman versus Superman would make more money. I think Captain America would be the better film and it would probably make more money um, like longer. But 
I think opening weekend, I think more people would go see Batman versus or V Superman. Batman five Superman. Batman five Superman. And not like I said, not because in any way am I arguing because it's going to be a better film than Captain America. Because there's not there's not any possibility of it being a better film. None. But pe- like, people, none. even even Affleck, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I don't. But people love Batman. People like will just die to watch a Superman movie, no matter how bad it is. We saw this, you know, last year. So, I mean, Superman, Man of Steel was not very good, but people went to see it two or three times. It, people just love these two characters and they're, they're the rocks that DC is built on. And to see them together in a movie, it's going to make a ton of money. And Captain America, as good as the Captain America movies have been, it's still only one Marvel character. If you would have told me Batman five Superman was going up against Avengers three or even if you know, any Avengers movie period, I would have said, well, Avengers is going to win because it's got the momentum, but just a single, uh, Marvel movie. I think money wise, Batman versus Superman is going to win, even though I think Captain America three is going to be amazing. So put it down as claim chowder because I, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think, I think if they had gone head to head and now, even now, I still think that the grand total of Captain America three, when it's all said and done, will be higher than, than Batman five Superman. Episode 100. I'm going to remember this episode 100. Okay. I'm, you know, I've been wrong before about things. I, um, in fact, there was one time when I thought I was wrong and it turned out I was right. So I was wrong about having been wrong. So, (laughs) well, actually, and see, there's another thing. Exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you notice that like lots of these, like the summers are becoming more and more packed with movies. So like you basically get what, like 70 to 80% of your gross, like in that first week. And after that, it's, you know, it, it, if it's a really great movie, it's going to continue to get little by little, like kind of milked out through the summer, but you have like one shot. And then the next week, the next blockbuster is going to hit. So people are moving on. Yeah, and But if you, if you show it, like Captain America did, or like this one's going to be in late March, you really do have a month before your next blockbuster. So, yeah. And I think there have been some notable exceptions. Um, I, I can't remember which ones they are, but I remember going back and looking at a film that had done poorly on open is like, Oh, that really kind of gained up, picked up some steam and did better. But you're, but for the most part, it is much more front loaded and getting more and more front loaded. I think. Yeah. So. I mean, Maleficent was a, was an exception to the rule this year. Um, but I mean, even movies like X Men and stuff. X Men made money for like two weeks, and then it made like a very small amount of money for, you know, a couple weeks after. Uh, hey, so. hey, Fizz, your your mic just got really quiet. Did it? Yeah. Oh, uh, can you still hear me? I can hear you. I can up your gain. It's just that um, it's weird, uh, and it's. Well, not- I don't think anything's changed on my end, except I just keep sounding more and more, you know, handsome. Yeah. Okay. I think we're okay. You're you're actually getting a little louder again. I I don't know. It's weird. Okay, uh, Joe. Did you have anything else to add to that? I think that the well, I think that uh, both of you are looking for uh, yellow, looking for a way to put a silver lining on the situation. And I just think that uh, this is the kind of the death knell for me because it is Zack Snyder, the director. We know what he is made of and what he's capable of doing based on the man of steel. And now we have Ben Affleck as Batman, which is ridiculous because he was daredevil and they don't even think that they can outdo captain America who has far less experience in the theaters. And therefore I'm, I'm just calling it how I see it. Uh, my, my claim will be that uh, this film is going to be a huge disappointment. And 
it really disappoints me because it's sort of like being, I mean, like as much as I care about uh, any kind of film character at all, uh, I care a lot about Batman and Superman. You know, to me, they're, they're a big deal. They're, they're the Han Solo and, you know, I don't know what else to compare it to. For a lot <laughs> of the Han Solo and Han Solo. Yeah, DC. pretty much the, the Han Solo and Han Solo pair. Yeah, the, the, they are those characters for me. And uh, so, like, if you just told me, hey, guess what? Han Solo's got his own movie. That's fantastic. And guess what? His villain is going to be uh, Jango Fett's uh, evil twin, uh, a long lost <laughs> clone. Okay, yay, that sounds horrible. You know, and I'm, I'm like, that's a surefire George Lucas film. It sounds horrible. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not looking forward to this thing anymore. Yeah, not me either. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, and you're, you, the thing is, though, I think you're probably right, Fizz, in, in a way, in that um, this, this people are going to go back for more on the Superman series, even, you know, even though, I don't know. It just, I just, to me, I can't get over my personal feelings about Man of Steel being so bad, I guess, is the problem here. No, like I said, you just have to separate yourself, like, as uneducated moviegoer um, or uninformed moviegoer versus movie critic like as movie critics we watch a lot of movies we keep up on movie news we know who are making these films why they're making these films who's going to be involved you know what the script's going to be like and what they've done before to give us an idea of what we can expect most people just go i like batman and i like superman yeah it's true (gasps) yeah i mean like and not to make i really i say that and i don't try to make like like i said the the average moviegoer sound dumb but they just don't care as much. They just want to be entertained. And they're like, I recognize this name. I'm going to go see it. So, so uh, this is why the people go see Transformers still. They're like, I recognize Transformers. Yeah, my, my faith in humanity is pretty low with the Transformers franchise being what it is. And uh, yeah. Eh. Anyway. Well, shall we, shall we talk about um, Martin Scorsese's passionate defense of film, Kodak film specifically? Let's, let's no, wait a minute. What is what is it with Kodak film? Why is it Kodak film specifically? <laughs> um, I mean, because I think Kodak is is a recognizable name in, in providing actual celluloid uh, film. Um, is is uh, what the deal is, and um, uh, so it has to do with the decision that Kodak has made. Here, I'm just going to read from the Entertainment Weekly article um, that I'm, we're talking about on the heels of Kodak's decision to continue its production of film stock after finalizing a deal with major Hollywood studios just last week. The venerable Martin Scorsese issued a heartfelt statement in support of the move, writing, "This news is a positive step towards preserving film, the art form we love." So, okay, I'll, I'll buy that, but it's the second paragraph that irks me. As the chair of the Film Foundation, Scorsese recognizes the advantages of HD and the realities of modern movie making while still enthusiastically embracing the importance of film, not only as a building block of the art form, but also as something that continues to inform the current aesthetics of movies. So far, so good. Then this is what he says. And to quote Scorsese, film is still the best and only time proven way to preserve movie. He writes, we have no assurance that digital information will last, but we know that film will, if probably properly stored and cared for. Which is, I I agree that that last statement is such an asinine statement. It's, it's, it it makes no sense. No, (laughs) not really. Because we know that celluloid actually doesn't last that. I mean, like you can, you know, it doesn't last that long. There, there are there are films that are unrecoverable because they've you know they've the, the film has deteriorated. 
Um, so to, to say that the reason we should keep film around is because it's the we have assurance that it will be you know uh, preserve the movie that that that's a nonsense reason. Yeah, what if Hasbro came out and said you can now eat play doh, but we haven't changed anything about the recipe. You can just eat play doh. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, it's it's a little silly. Um, but the rest, I mean, in general, and the reason I'm I'm you know excited about this too is um, right now I feel like film, actual film, is still the best medium for capturing good quality. Um, you know, cinema. It, it it has a specific look. Yes, um, I suppose you could call it um, an aesthetic preference, but I, I think in, in general that it just looks better. Film still, when something is shot on film, it looks better. It has, um, it has a much higher dynamic range. Uh, it has a specific look to it that uh, is very pleasing to the eye. That, that digital just can't quite attain to yet. Uh, and and of all people, just understand, of all people, I'm not advocating against anything digital. I'm all for digital. All of my movies, uh, I always try to acquire digitally because of the convenience. And I do also mark a difference between acquiring on film and, and you know, you know going to a final format of digital. Um and then there's the issue of we're still we're still not able to scan like like as high a resolution as we can scan in we're still able to get that out of a 35 millimeter print. Um, we have not maxed out the capacity. Um, we cannot scan in at a resolution that 35 millimeter cannot provide. That's what I'm trying to say. So 35 millimeter, yeah. you, you just look at look at um, the remastering of of things that were shot on 35 millimeter. Years ago, when the technology was not as advanced and, you know, things didn't look as good, but they're able to take those original film prints and scan them in, and they look fantastic. You know why? Because it's film, and we still have not maxed out the capacity of film for quality. Do I sound a little bit uh, impassioned about this as well? <laughs> yeah, and, well, for good reason. It's, it's really what made the film industry what it is today, and that is why we call it film. Right. I mean, we call it film more than we call it movies. And what are we going to do when film is altogether gone? It's not going to be film, and we're going to call it, hey, uh, so uh, <laughs> we saw another digital this week, and uh, in this digital, <laughs> it stars, you know, no, no, it's going to sound stupid. We're going we're to go on calling it film because of its legacy. It is, That's right, it yeah. Means, it means a lot to us. And it's something that most anyone in the audience can appreciate one way or the other. Understand too that I'm not I'm not like uh, dinging any films that are acquired digitally necessarily. Uh, I think big budget films are. I don't think it's necessarily a wise choice. But especially like I I was a small time filmmaker, you know, or working for a small film company, and we acquired everything digitally. That's because it was cost effective. I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad way to go. I'm just saying let's not let's not lose film. I'm with Martin Scorsese. Let's not lose film here. So. Yeah, he's just got to make some better arguments. Is all that? Yeah, that last sentence was just a little bit crazy. But uh, Fizz, I think I'm. I thought I heard you trying to say something. Oh well, I was just noticing that this is the hundredth episode. So if you're going to make changes to the podcast, you've got a new intro. Might as well go ahead and change it to Digibyte while you're at it. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I mean, if we're going to call them digitals now. Oh yeah, instead of well, I mean, I think movie would still fly, and it's movie byte. So, but if it were film byte, then maybe we would change to Digibyte. Mm. So maybe would we should you, change it really to film bite. Okay, too many people talking at once. Try that again, somebody. Well, yeah, well, we should change it to film bite so that we can change it to digital bite. That's right. <laughs> Marketing. Think about it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm I'm definitely uh, with it's the new Coke. <laughs> and 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 I just you know I'm I'm not one of these curmudgeons. It's it's not a curmudgeon thing at, at all. You know where it's you know pe- some people you hear people talking about film who have no idea what they're talking about and. You know, that's not that's not the yeah. angle that I'm approaching this from. So, well, speaking about people who understand understand film, TJ, 
uh, understanding Art House Snowpiercer. Did you finally get around to watching these guys? This video, guys, this is fantastic. This is a really good YouTube video, like featurette, put together by an independent filmmaker that just appreciates the film craft. And he highlighted some really great points about Snowpiercer, things I think that we could appreciate, but we hadn't bothered to articulate. And he captures all of it in his seven minute, you know, seven minute video, where he explains some of more of the dynamics about the class warfare, and uh, he waxes eloquent. I really like what he did here. How do y'all think he got all the footage that he uses in his video? I mean, like that's a a, a lot of it's been out on video on demand for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, that's a good point. I forget that because it it is still in theory. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, Fizz, you probably really enjoyed this uh, video and the perspective. Oh no, this is this is a lot of the stuff that we touched on when we covered this in real world. I mean, not that's true. Yeah. Yeah, not in this detail, obviously, picking the, the, the scenes apart piece by piece, but this entire concept of understanding the film for something more than just a straightforward allegory, but noticing the differences in the cars and stuff. I, I thought this was really great. He did uh, he did wax poetic. Uh, he was concise, and I think anyone who was displeased with Snowpiercer should probably watch this again and realize the achievement in filmmaking that it is. Like I said, you can still not like the outcome of the story, the point, you know, or agree with, you know, the, the trajectory that, or well, the, the kind of point that he, that the filmmaker tries to make, I, I get that, but just appreciating it as a piece of art, uh, well, and if was, you, was if, one of the things that really stuck out to me when I watched the movie the first time. Yeah. And if you remember, that's basically where I was coming from is while I, 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 if just a couple of little tweaks would have made me actually like the film a lot because I enjoyed the way it was made and I enjoyed it from an artistic perspective. Um, it's just that I, uh, I'm like you said, I really kind of had some trouble with, with some of the outcomes and, and the, you know, the way the story ended and ended up and stuff like that. Um, I enjoyed this, uh, review, even though I didn't agree with, with all the perspectives, I enjoyed this review you much more than i enjoyed the actual film <laughs> um th- that's not true but i well, uh, you know well, I, I was gonna say i think ultimately the the thing that he hits on that means the the film really can't end any other way is because he talks about how the entire film is linear and then that the the actual final result has to be non-linear like the 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 resolution and you know from a filmmaking perspective or from a storytelling perspective how uh genius that is you know, like I said, whether you think that that's the way it should have ended or not, but when you tell a story and you, you, you're, you're not, this isn't an audio book, you know, you're not just like, and Chris Evans did this and then Chris Evans did that, you know, you're actually visually showing something to, to go along with this uh, story that you're telling. And uh, there's, there's rare a director that I think can incorporate that much into a movie that's uh, that well thought out. Yeah, so. and 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 you know, I definitely highly recommend this review. And and all I can say is that one day when I grow up, uh, <laughs> I would I would like to uh, I would like to be a, a film of somebody who can review films of this capacity. Like I, it was so good. I thought it was so good. Mm. So yeah. So thank you, Joe. You're actually the one that shared that with me. So thank you for uh, sharing that with me. I, I greatly appreciate that. I had not seen it before you shared it with me. So. Right, and while we're thinking about it, you really should go out and check out his YouTube channel. He's he is the nerd writer. That is his channel, and the guy's got lots of good videos. He's really analyzed quite a number of pieces of pop culture and history and other movies. And his analysis is, you know, I don't always agree with him, but I can appreciate where he's coming from and that he has taken the time to illustrate these thoughts to everyday people on YouTube of all places. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
healthy for us. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I just want to take, uh, we're, we, we're going to run long if we don't uh, be careful. So I'm just going to point these links out that are in the show notes. Um, that is, uh, this one all, and I'll, I'll have them in the, in the show notes for our, our listeners as well, uh, which you will find at moviebyte.com slash MB podcast slash 100. Um, so this is all the Marvel Easter eggs prior to gardens of the guardians of the galaxy, um, in, in on video. Um, and so that was, that was a lot of fun. I watched that before I watched Guardians of the Galaxy and then, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Easter eggs, over 50 trivia references, callbacks, cameos, and more. This is by Peter Serretta over at Slash Film. Uh, and, uh, I also really enjoyed that post as well. Some of it I just skimmed, um, you know, but, uh, a lot of fun. Definitely check that out. There, there is a lot of hidden references and stuff. I, I caught several of them and some of them were even to me were like, oh, I didn't, didn't see those before. So, uh, definitely worth reading Peter Serretta's uh, post there. It is a paginated post, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at that. But uh, I think there are like five pages and something like 100 different, no, he already said 50, 50 different trivia references and callbacks. And uh, yeah, pretty good. So. <clears throat> uh, good for Marvel. It's so nice to see that they're making so many good films right now. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this before we segue into Guardians of the Galaxy. As a general whole, I think that we are seeing the, a renaissance of superheroes through filmmaking, and it's something that we didn't really expect to ever see happen at all anyway. And it's really gone to the point that, even, say what you will about the repetitiveness and the formulaic qualities, but apart from Marvel action films, there is a lot left wanting in adult action films as a whole. And I appreciate the likes of Joss Whedon's contribution, Christopher Nolan's contribution, and now we have something really shockingly good like this by James Gunn. And so it got me to thinking, like, you know how when you, uh, you were a kid and you were first exposed to films and someone started talking about the films that mattered to them most? In my life, this kind of thing happened over and over again. And there were people that really were obsessive about cowboy films and Westerns as a whole. And then there were the others that really enjoyed alien films and then others yet that pretty much just accepted anything and everything that Steven Spielberg could do. Well, I think that what we're going to say in a few more years from now is that we're right now in a golden age of superhero films. Now there's been some bad ones, some real duds, but at the same time, can you imagine it getting much better than this for the present age. And can you think about how the influence of uh, the superhero action genre has been steadily influencing and improving upon the other filmmaking that we see coming down the pike? It's it, things like even Snowpiercer, I think, are influenced by ensemble stories, ensemble cast stories in films that so have lots of characters. To your question about whether I can imagine uh, a better time or something better for comic book movies, is that the how, how did you phrase the question? Well, yeah, you can put it that way. It was something like that. So, so to answer that kind of question, I can always imagine something better, and I'd like to imagine a a, a world in which DC had their act together. <laughs> but that's just me. Um, I, I do agree. We're, 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 I think that it's that the comic book movie industry is way better than it has ever been. Um, and I think we mostly have the Dark Knight trilogy to thank for that. And I want to give thanks where thanks is due because that that really kind of revolutionized uh, the current um, uh, comic book movie industry, in my opinion. 
Yeah, don't start talking about DC or I'm just going to start crying. Well, because, because it was so good and now they're so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try to ignore them when I'm referring to comic book movies because for the most part, we have three Batman films, but for the most part, Marvel is responsible for the superhero films in the last decade. And so it's really them that I am assessing. Like we had the bat, we had some unfortunate mishaps with the Hulk. And if Marvel could get out of that bad rut and improve upon themselves after that, then I still have a hope that DC can do as well with the likes of Superman. Yeah, they could. They're not going to, but they could. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, and, oh, I wanted to, um, is this, this? Uh, I haven't listened to this yet, this Guardians of the Galaxy parody, is that safe to play on the air? Uh, I wouldn't, but oh. yeah, uh, go, yeah every, anybody and everybody should go listen to this on their own time. <laughs> okay, I won't play it then. <laughs> Glad I asked. Um, so that that is in the show notes as well. It's a, it's a parody music single. Why don't you tell us what the heck that is, because I haven't listened to it yet. Okay, so if you have watched Guardians of the Galaxy, you're pro- you've probably still got some of the music stuck in your head. And uh, I think it was probably the last music number. I don't know. They're all starting to sound like a never-ending mixtape in my mind, so I'm getting them confused. But one of the pieces of uh, pop rock music culture uh, you know, singles that was in the movie uh, was parodied for this, and the lyrics have all been changed up to basically relate the story of the characters in Guardians of the Galaxy. In a very comedic lyric way. And so, uh, yeah, it was pretty gratifying. If you've seen the movie, you can appreciate the single. And if, if you appreciate music, um, you probably won't appreciate this parody unless you have seen the movie and then it'll make sense. But yeah, like um, this brings up another interesting topic for me, guys. Had either of you been really familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy before we got to the theater for this film, apart from the trailers? No. I wasn't. You fizz? Oh no, no, I, I was not. Yeah, just Inti- you know. intentionally so. Okay, well, like, you well, know. No, I think what Joe's asking though is like, had you read any of the comic books before the movie was ever even thought of? Oh no, I hadn't. Again, intentionally so. Like, I, I acquired them, and then uh, I just intentionally didn't read them because I didn't want to uh, do that. But when I did the the real world on this one, I got two guys who had been reading the Guardian stuff, and so they told me more than I ever wanted to know about it. And I'm huh. glad that I'm glad that I didn't actually go back and read some of the Guardian stuff uh, before I saw the movie. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I can totally understand that. But the thing is, had you not even you know ever picked up copies of Guardians of the Galaxy comics, notice that for all these years we really haven't heard anything about Guardians of the Galaxy, and now they're right up there neck and neck with the quality of the Avengers for motion pictures. And they just kind of came out of left field this way. Like, you know, somewhere in the back of your mind, you probably heard that Marvel had a Justice League like ripoff and it had Iron Man and Captain America in it. And you knew about a a large number of the Marvel characters. But here we have essentially the first very successful superhero film about no name superheroes. Or I don't even know if you want to call them superheroes, but, you know, uh, comic book characters. And I find this very interesting. This is this is uh, not it's not one of a kind, but we haven't seen a film with these characteristics in cinemas yet until now. Well, some something that we hit on, and I don't want to take credit for this because this is uh, something that uh, one of my one of my guests uh, points out. But the marketing for this film is pretty brilliant Definitely. because that 
the first the first trailer we get it it does two things or the first teaser trailer it, it does two things for the audience and, and both of those things is making fun of what this film is conceptually it introduces to to ridiculous characters and it kind of makes fun of the fact that we have no idea who these people are i mean even at the end you know in in this little teaser trailer it's like they call themselves like guardians of the galaxy. And that guy's like, what a bunch of a-holes, you know, like, <laughs> right. like they, they make fun of the fact that we really have no idea who these guys are. Um, and, and they have that, you know, that, um, ah, whatever song they have in the first, uh, preview, um, that I should totally remember. And yeah. it's a totally silly scene, which basically sets up like, you know, the, the, this isn't as serious as basically, especially considering, uh, the the rest of the phase two Marvel films, this has a completely different tone. So they, they make fun of the fact that this isn't like the same old thing. And we understand that you have no idea who these people are. Look, even the people in the movie don't even know who these people are. And, and they just kind of took that and ran with it. And it totally worked. You may know me by a different name. <laughs> Star Lord. <laughs> who? <laughs> Come on, Star Lord, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a very interesting phenomenon. Um, real quick, before we move into the, uh, we we're kind of, we're kind of, uh, blurring the lines, but before we move into the, uh, review proper, um, but this is related. Um, Joe, you, you, I haven't read this yet cause you put it in the show notes like last minute before we start, right before we started recording. So, um, oh. the, the title of this, uh, from film school rejects is where are all those infinity stones in the Marvel cinematic universe? Oh, I didn't oh. put that in there. I guess TJ. Uh, you know, I did that. Oh, okay. Ah. Okay. So it was you, Fizz. It was you. That's right. I'm wagging my finger in your direction. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so it looks to me from skimming this article like it's basically just recapping. Okay, we know we've got the Tesseract, the Ether, the Orb, uh, the Blue Crystal. Um, you know, from Hydra or whatever. Um, and we have two stones that are unaccounted for. Is that that the general consent? The the general gist of this article here. Which it does show where everyone is, but it also shows how this movie, even though it seems to not really tie into the rest of the MCU, how it's very important and how even though it's almost like an object that is something to have the movie around, it's actually really, really important that uh, that the Guardians of the Galaxy centers around an Infinity Stone. Yeah, because well, these are going because down the road, this is going to be. Very and very important to, you know, with the Infinity Gauntlet, with Thanos, stuff like that. Yeah, I get that. Uh, uh, all right, we'll get to my thoughts on that in a little bit. Um, I, I get what you mean, but I, I have some issues with what Marvel's doing there. Um, so with that, with that, that, that link is in the show notes if you want to check that out, and I'm going to check it out as soon as the show is over. But with that, let's get into our review of Guardians of the Galaxy. I look around. You know what I see? I mean, like, folks who have lost stuff. Their homes, their families. And we're facing a threat that could destroy us all. If we're going to save the galaxy, we're going to have to do it together. Partners. Why would you want to save the galaxy? Because I'm one of the idiots who lives in it! Oh, 
What the hell? I don't got that long a lifespan anyway. So Guardians of the Galaxy was released on August the 1st of uh, this year. It, Of course, it had a budget of $170 million. It opened to $94.3 million domestically. The worldwide gross at this very moment is $184.3 million. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that just blew the lid off the box office, frankly. Um, the critical acclaim from Rotten Tomatoes is that Guardians of the Galaxy is, as, is just as irreverent as fans of the frequently zany Marvel comic would expect, as well as funny, thrilling, full of heart, and packed with visual splendor. What it lacks in realism, it makes up for in make-believe. It was directed by James Gunn. The writers were James Gunn, Nicole Perlman, Dan Abnett, um, uh, who did the comic, and Andy Lanning, who did the comic. Uh, stars are Chris Pratt as Star-Lord, Zoe Saldana as uh, Gamora, Bradley Cooper as Rocket, uh, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer, Lee Pace as Ronan, and Michael Rooker as Yandu Udonta. Udonta. Uh, however you say that. Music was composed by uh, Tyler Bates. Um, boy, I'm, I'm really missing one of my soundtrack guys uh, being on the show this week. It's usually either Chad or Clark Douglas, and neither of them are on. What did you guys think of the uh, soundtrack? Phenomenal. The score especially, of course. I mean, there's a little bit of a distinction in the music industry. Sure. Your score being, what is it? That's, that's the composition by the musical composer. It has instrumentals and orchestra. And soundtrack is the one that is a compilation of all the pop music and stuff in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, what, the soundtrack. songs inspired by the movie almost typically, but in this case, accompanying. Right. Yeah. I mean, and obviously some of them were, you know, songs from another era and stuff like that. Um, the, frankly, that, that didn't connect with me as well as it should have just because I, uh, I, I don't listen to older music for whatever reason. I just, you know, uh, frankly, when I was younger, it was all Christian music all the time. And, uh, you know, now that I'm listening to other more, you know, secular music, it's not typically older music. So, uh, it, 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 it I'm probably not the right person to, to ask whether the soundtrack worked. I, I got what they were doing though, and it, it worked well on that level. Yeah, I'm not the right person really to judge the soundtrack, I guess. But it, even even for me, even not knowing any of these songs, it, it worked quite quite well. Um, it, it did what it was supposed to, I think. And and you know the uh, the the actual score was just fine too. Um, all right, with that, uh, Joe, why don't you give us the storyline? Yes. Uh, well, one last thing I wanted to say about the soundtrack: if you don't already have it, you should probably go get it if you can appreciate classic pop rock, and uh, it makes it in and of itself a really good mixtape. So yeah. say it is an awesome mix. Yeah, like you notice, it was actually the first highlight of the entire film. Like you're you're just getting into the story. You see this funny looking asteroid place, and you know a mysterious figure with a funny looking metallic mask and glowing red eyes. And you don't know what to make of the moment, but it looks like he's on a, a creepy sort of mission. And then all of a sudden, he starts breaking into dance. And it was awesome when he puts on his headphones and he's just chilling and you understood the tone of the film from that moment forth. It just made the movie. Yeah, I agree. That was a, that was a great, great kind of opening. Yeah. Especially, especially, oh man, we'll get to this as we, as we get into it, but especially in contrast to the kind of the prologue of the film, uh, it, it, it was just an, an interesting juxtaposition that worked for me. Um, yeah. So anyway, the storyline. Yeah, so from Marvel, the studio that brought to you the blockbuster franchises of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers, comes a new team, the Guardians of the Galaxy, C, C, C. An action-packed <laughs> epic space adventure, Marvel's film in theaters expands the Marvel Cinematic Universe into the cosmos, where brash adventurer Peter Quill finds himself the object of an unrelenting bounty hunt 
after stealing a mysterious orb coveted by Rodin, a powerful villain with ambitions to threaten the entire universe. Because, like, he wants everything to die so that he will die with it, I guess. (laughs) To evade the ever-persistent Ronin, Quill is forced into an uneasy truce with a quartet of disparate misfits. Rocket, to name number one, a gun-toting raccoon. Groot, a tree-like humanoid. And then the deadly enigmatic Gamora. And the revenge-driven Drax the Destroyer. But when Quill discovers the true power of the orb and the menace it poses to the cosmos, he must do his best to rally his ragtag rivals for a last desperate stand with the galaxy's fate in the balance. All right. Yeah, it was, that was uh, intense. That, yeah, and that's that's just the synopsis, obviously, from the production studio I people. Just, I just have to get this uh, out there. Um, I There is a new record holder in movies for making me tear up the soonest. That, really? That that record was previously held by Up. Um, it is now held by this Marvel film, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, in one of two uh, kind of very serious mo- – well, I don't know. There were two definitely very serious moments, and, and it, the beginning of this film, kind of the prologue was, was one of them. Uh, <laughs> what are you <laughs> typing in the show outline? Um yeah, it, uh, it it was a very moving scene, um, and I, I think um, it was a necessary k- kind of scene to set up what kind of influences, uh, you know, what what kind of past affected Peter Quill, and then you know going to basically to the to the title screen and then opening up with after that with with the dancing scene that we've already discussed and and you know the the pop scene, uh, those two things. Interestingly, now you wouldn't, you wouldn't. Oh well, first we're sad and we're crying, and then you know he's dancing. Like, but but those two things kind of really set up the movie really well. What it says is there's going to be some gravity here to this film, but mostly you know it's going to be just a big fun ride. So, uh, it it worked well for me. What did you guys think? I, I don't <laughs> want to say that I got emotional about it, but I really enjoyed it. it like uh, the comedic moments just made this film. If you imagine the same story essentially with the same script, but if it were told without the enthusiasm and the lightheartedness, if it just took itself seriously, it would have been a run in the middle sci-fi film to me. Even if it were well-crafted with these kinds of effects, with this kind of cinematography and this kind of soundtrack, but it took itself too seriously say like some prequels we know and hate, then it would have just been a horrible experience. And uh, what, you know, it's really hard to perform great comedy. And I don't think that it gets the credit that it deserves from the critics usually. And often, you know, those kinds of films don't get critical acclaim. Now I can't say that guardians of the galaxy is getting critical acclaim, but the critics are definitely loving it. And we we have seen the proof in their rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's pretty cool. I think that's called critical acclaim, Joe. But I mean, like, will they give it awards come award season? Oh, I see like, what you mean. That, mm. That's where the real critical acclaim matters. And Doubtful. And, yeah, and exactly. It's like, again, and the reason for that is they sort of have a caveat of, well, was it a comedy? Ooh, no. They can't give comedies. For, you know, no, no, no. It's like saying, no, no. You, you just can't get freebies like that. Comedy's easy. And I don't feel that, like that's true. I, I, I'm not especially funny. I know how hard it is to be funny. And uh, yeah, so I'm really happy that they could go to, the, to this length because just think about, oh man, 
Most any kind of film could be substantially improved if you could inject this kind of comedy into it. That's true. I mean, and it, it certainly had a good sense of, of itself. You know, the, the film was very self-aware in that way. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, and, and the thing is, Joe, I don't even know that this works for all films. It works for Guardians of the Galaxy, but I don't know that I, you, you know, even for like Captain America 3, can you imagine, uh, or 2, can you imagine Captain America 2 with this level of humor? I don't think it would have worked. So, you know, your assessment of injecting this sort of humor in every film may not be entirely accurate, but I do think that many films do suffer from taking themselves too seriously, and that's one thing this film certainly does not suffer from. So, Fizz. <laughs> well, I think uh, Joe, at least if I'm understanding him correctly, did hint at something that I would agree with, that this film, outside of its personality that it brings, is a pretty... It's a it's a pretty straightforward film. Oh, for sure. Like, like the the script is pretty simple. It's you know it's your average ragtag you know misfits band together to do something good. And uh, I found a, a great little tidbit that because there were there's some correlations between this and you know uh, Firefly. People are like oh you know it's a hey look it's a band of misfits that get together and they save the galaxy. And it's somewhat so, apt well, too. And and so there was lots of questions raised about, you know, did Joss Whedon have, you know, some hands on in this? And, you know, Joss Whedon's kind of overseeing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and through phase two. So there there was some interest there. So I, I got to looking and I realized I found this really great, a great little tidbit that said Joss Whedon had some involvement in the writing press uh, process for Guardians. Uh, James Gunn worked with him to mold the script. Everyone loved Gunn's original script except for Joss Whedon who said he liked it, but that it was too conventional and it needed more James Gunn. Yeah, so, I read that so, too. Yeah, so Gunn took another pass and really went for it. And I think that's what this that this movie ended up being. It ended up being uh, a pretty basic tale that you know, you've seen a hundred times, but James Gunn has this really great self-awareness when he makes things. I mean, if you watch a movie like Slither, it's not for everyone, but if you watch a movie like that, you realize how self-aware it is and, and what it's kind of uh, making fun of and how it's kind of uh, jumping into a, a, a genre, understanding full well the tropes of that genre. And this right here is him making a very self-aware action superhero without, I mean, depending on how you want to define superheroes type movie that harkens back. It's like the movie made for every child of the eighties. And it's just, <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, we talked about the soundtrack earlier. The soundtrack is almost its own character in this movie. That's true. Yeah. And it, it's, it's everything's everything weaves together really well. And without some of those things that James Gunn brings to this film, to me, it would have been like, Oh, this is another thing that I kind of shovel popcorn to, but then I forget about two weeks later. Instead, it's a movie that I went to see on Thursday night and could not wait to go see it again on Saturday. Yeah. Speaking about, um, you know, the soundtrack almost being its own character, I think that in many ways you could say that it was the voice of Meredith Quill because she was passing on a portion of like her heart and soul to her son. And then he would need it in a time of, well, you know, emotional turmoil or he just needed to relax. And so what did he do? It's like he's chillaxing with the voice of his mother when he pops on that tape. And, uh, but it, it, which is very comfortable and comforting. And you can appreciate that the spirit of his mother is way 
way appealing to the whole of the story. Like that is one of the added dimensions for the character of Peter Quill, our main protagonist here. Like for once we don't have a, well, you know, they introduced the idea that he may have daddy issues that we don't know about yet because that might be introduced in a sequel. But for once here we have a, a great, uh, you know, sci-fi action superhero film where it's uh, showing the tightly knit relationship between fa- uh, mother and son. And I think that that was pretty cool. Uh, we don't get that very often. Yeah, and, and that, that is why that opening scene is so so crucial to the character of Peter Quill, um, kind of as I was alluding to before. Um, oh, and it even ties up a, a huge uh, like piece of the ridiculousness, because uh, spo- spoiler territory now, uh, you know, uh, his character is Peter Quill, and uh, he keeps on, you know, calling himself Star Lord, and everybody thinks that that's a big joke. And then when you look at his uh, his daring do, you consider that yeah, he can kill some people. He's got some pretty nice, uh, you know, like hip holsters and guns in them, and you know, he he's able to fly among the best of them. And he's very quick thinking, and he's able to solve problems. And you know, he saves a couple of people a couple of times, and you know, like, yeah, okay, well, he he's earned some star cred as a superhero wannabe. But at the same time, his title is very ambitious and i really appreciated that because it was so ridiculously ambitious like buzz lightyear like nobody would name their child buzz lightyear so you just know that that's a ridiculous name from a ridiculous universe where you just have to enjoy the silliness of it but when you have peter quill who has a name like star lord then you find out, you know, there's sort of like a special understanding that his mother probably uh, in make believe in pl- uh, child's play when they, you know, he was a little boy and she was healthy, you know, uh, like fostered that nickname for her son. Uh, that's really kind of special. And you can understand why Peter would hold on to that name when it really didn't make any sense. And I, I, I don't want to overanalyze it, but at the same time, the reason I bring that up is because it leads into one of my favorite likes about this film. There is a huge amount of nuance between character development, great performances delivered by the right cast, and the director who knows how to make the best use of them on screen. And it's not very often that we get to see this level of intensity between the relationship of what the director is able to get out of his actors and what the actors are able to get out of characters from a script and the script knowing what to deliver to the actors. And you see it come through in the nuances of character development, which are very rich from a, a very surprising source, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Like, wow, did not see all the character development coming. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I uh, In my review, let me see if I can find it here just so I can know that I'm getting my own quote right. Um, I said uh, that awkward moment when a character who said only three, well, okay, five technically words throughout the entire film had way more character development than any character in Man of Steel. This is the power of the Marvel creative team at this particular juncture in history. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that kind of summarizes my, the way I feel about this entire film, where you take a completely CGI character who said only three words, who had a way better storyline and arc and character development, you know, than, than you would have expected from anywhere. But, but specifically, um, you know, I made the comparison to Man of Steel because, ugh. Um, and, and that's really true, though, like, of this entire film. Like, um, all of our heroes had, a good deal of character development, some more than others. I mean, obviously Peter Quill was the lead in this film. Um, and, and then you also, I, I would say your, your, your second two primary characters were rocket raccoon and, um, uh, a Groot. 
and um, they had they all three had fantastic uh, lines. They had fantastic character development. I wanted to go back to something that you said, um, or that you reminded me of, basically, Fizz, uh, and and that is that um, the the writing in this film is both good and. Mm, not not so good. The good is with the dialogue and the character development. He does, you know, James Gunn does really, really well in developing these characters. He does really, really well in writing good dialogue. I mean, just think of all the great lines that that Rocket Raccoon had, you, you know, uh, in his how he was so bitter about his you know life, and it was uh, he was such a fun character. Uh, you, you you've got this you know this raccoon who's just angry at everything all the time, um, and it, 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 you know. And at the same time, you know, I think it, I don't remember which one of you mentioned that it's a very simplistic plot, and I think that's that is where this this film kind of falls down a little bit, um, where it, it's a little predictable, I think. But but definitely where this film's strength lies is the um, is is the way it makes you like the good guys. So, uh, where shall we move from here? <laughs> well, I would say that. Um I don't typically mind because I also I don't really feel like there's a whole lot of new stories out there. I mean, there's typically some of the same stories kind of draped in something different. So I don't mind if something is simple. Something doesn't have to be complex to keep me interested. And it doesn't have to be complex to be what I would consider a good story. But it's how you tell that story and what the point of telling that story is. And, and, and I agree with that. Yeah, and so, and so you know, I, I know you're not kind of you know poo pooing on the film uh, because it's too simplistic, uh, but I, I just kind of want to piggyback off on that and say you know it works, uh, and mm. so you know it could have uh, like there are things that happen in this film where I was like, uh, is that how Joss Whedon would have wrote it? I don't think so. I th- I think it would have developed more organically or there would have been a situation that brought us together instead of having things explained to us at times. And that's yeah. fine. But, you know, the it's kind of like what the the critical acclaim that Joe uh no wait, that you read uh TJ, you know, it was like the 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 faults kind of are uh, overlooked because of this other great stuff that happens. And I I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, I, I guess l- let me flush out a little bit what I mean, and, and this will be a dislike. I guess that we're going to be a little bit more disjointed in this episode just because of the nature of this film, um, because it was really good, and then there were some things that I thought were not good, and 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 I feel like it's a little bit of a trend that Marvel's going with that I don't like. And, and what I mean by the simplicity is not, you know, I completely agree with you. I, I've said it before. The, a film doesn't have to be, uh, you know, stories. Th- there are only so many basic stories, especially if you're talking about good story. There, there are plenty of stories that, like, you know, can end weirdly and and don't make any sense and don't make you, you know, don't don't. They're not good stories, and so there are only a few good stories. But you know, the, I don't know how many there are, but but the the general framing of a good story. There are only so many ways to do that. So so that's not my issue here. My issue is that. Um, specifically in this case, it was Ronan last time it was Malekith. Um, you know, they're not, Marvel's not spending the time to develop the villains very well. And as a result, the stakes don't feel all that high. Things don't really matter as much as they could because we don't really like who is Ronan and why does, why does he want to, Oh, he's just, he's, he just wants everybody dead. He just wants to kill everybody. And that it's like, you know, they had this wonderful actor, Lee Pace playing Ronan. Uh, we needed to get a little bit more 
of of that villain. We needed to know why he wanted everyone dead. I, I, I it's never felt a super sense of urgency. There was a little urgency there. I mean, obviously he was he had the Infinity Stone and he wanted to kill everybody on the planet. But it just feels like the Marvel villains, in 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 many cases, Loki being the the major exception, are are suffering from a lack of of characterization. Well, what they did allude to was that Ronan only cared about his race of aliens in the galaxy. So it's like it's uh, my gal- my my people, and uh, there's not enough room for any of the rest of you. And uh, you never really got to see him interact with his people in a benevolent way. He wasn't involved in the planet of his people for the rest of the movie, for the majority, most all of the film. He's on his own. He's you know operating a massive starship, and he's just bossing people around, and he's trying to get the infinity stone and he's trying to make use of its power and and absorb its energy and watch people die and smile and cackle like a wicked, wicked, wicked guy that he is. And you know what we're really addressing here is not just the, a, a, uh, a concern with Marvel films, but really it's a syndrome of comic book characters. And I think that what we notice is that if you go back to the distant past with comic book characters, all of them felt canned. All of them didn't feel like mm-hmm. they had a rhyme or reason to why they were good or bad. They just were. Right. And so they represented good or evil, and that was it. There was a two-dimensionality to them, and that was crystal clear. And that was something that television, Hollywood, and movies wanted to shake up. So when they introduced uh, the original Spider-Man you know, films by Sam Raimi, and when we saw... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't even want to give them credit for being good in any way. But Tim Burton's, uh, you know, started his own Batman thing in the '90s. That introduced, you know, some complexity to the protagonists that we had not seen before. It wasn't done the way we wanted it to be done, and ultimately, we have Christopher Nolan to thank for a great job of doing it well. And what we also saw from Christopher Nolan was how he could also develop a great antagonist with the Joker. And uh, say what you want to say about his other antagonists in the Batman Begins trilogy. But I think all of us are, you know, decently satisfied with the villains from that trilogy compared to a lot of the other Marvel villains. And everybody says it, you know, even my younger sister said it when we were in the theater for Guardians of the Galaxy. She wasn't especially thrilled with Ronin or the bad guys. She says, why is it that Marvel has to have all the good heroes and DC has to have all the good bad guys? That is a really good point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, and even, you know, I mean, the, the most direct comparison is Malekith, who was trying to get his hands on the, the ether. And, you know, you've got Ronan, who's trying to get his hands on the Infinity Stone, and both seem, you know, surface, you know, deep. There's no depth there. Uh, but even the same thing can be said for Captain America, too, where we just didn't get enough depth out of uh, the Winter Soldier. I mean, we, you know, they, they tried to have depth there by making him, you know, obviously he's Bucky Barnes, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it just felt like we just didn't really get a lot of depth there. And I feel like this is a little bit of a problem that Marvel is getting themselves into. Well, I'd like to counter that specific one with saying that the bad guy, even though the title was suggested, uh, is not the winter soldier in the second Captain America. I would say the bad guy is actually one of the deepest Marvel villains that we've seen yet, which is Hydra. Sure. Um, I, I get that, but I still so, feel like we needed more characterization. But I, well, I think if you think of Hydra as a villain, I think Hydra 
gets characterization from the entirety of the Hydra storyline. And it becomes one of the deepest continuing villains that we see. You know, I guess we're going to have to suffer through more shield to see oh, that. Oh, stop but, it. Uh, but, you know, Hydra, Hydra still exists and they exist in a powerful way at the end of Captain America. And to, you know, I was disappointed and we talked about this. I believe, you know, that we could have all used more Winter Soldier. We could have more, we could have used more, you know, specific characterization of or a development of the Winter Soldier. But he was just, uh, you know, one of the many arms or body parts, whatever one you want to choose of Hydra. And so much like Loki, you know, he wasn't the total, the only villain in the first Thor movie, but he was the one that lasts. Same thing with the Avengers. He almost became a, uh, a throwaway villain, unfortunately in the Avengers, but he still lasts. You talking about Loki? Yeah. in in the Avengers, did we watch the same movie in the Avengers? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, he becomes, he becomes just the thing that rallies the good guys and gives us more character development for the good guys. Now that changes in Thor too. Because once again, much like Thor one, he wasn't the main focus, so he becomes the villain that we we enjoy watching. Yeah, I, um, I guess to me, Loki represents uh, you know where where Marvel's doing the villain right, and but he's like the lone exception uh, because I, I I think that uh, well, with the exception of uh, of some unfortunate things in Thor two at the you know. Um, I don't want to spoil Thor too, well, you, but, but but but, yeah. but to my point, um, he's like the only villain that has good characterization, and everybody else is forgettable. Like if I said Malekith, I doubt if most people Malekith, who's that? And the only reason I know is because I review movies, and it comes up, and and we you know we have to know. But but he's such he's such a forgettable bad guy, and I feel like honestly, Ronan is the same way. Like nobody's going to remember who Ronan is. And and that's not good. I I I think Marvel's doing a tremendously wonderful job um, with the good guys. Um, we will we will remember Gamora. We will remember Rocket Raccoon for sure. We'll remember uh, Mister uh, Nothing Gets Over My Head. I would catch it. Uh, you know uh, Batista. We will remember him, and we'll remember Chris Pratt. Um, and we will certainly remember Groot. But are we going to remember Ronan? I mean, I just feel like there's a huge missed opportunity going on here. No, we're not going to remember him, and we're going to get him confused for the other aliens. Right. Like, they're all just blending together. What distinguishes him from Malekith? Nothing. Nothing. It's it's essentially a repeat of Malekith, it seems to me. I I don't know. I I don't want to spend too much time, though, too much more time bashing on this film, because it really Mm. was a good film. I mean, to hear us talking about, to hear me talking about this one aspect (laughs) that I didn't like, you might think differently. So I want want to get off of this and talk about some good things that we liked about the film. Um, At the same time, I suppose if you guys have any other things that you didn't like, we should get those out of the way. Oh, so you kind of want to make a likes sandwich here? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) So, uh, Joe, well, well, Joe, do you have anything else that you didn't like about this film? Uh, a couple of things, but they were all kind of trite. I have to admit. Um, one thing that I noticed along with my sister was that in our theater, we have a pretty good sound quality and we didn't have a noisy audience. And yet several bits of dialogue just could not be understood. And it was the delivery or something, a little bit of slurring, maybe. Maybe they were talking too fast. I don't know what it was. Maybe there wasn't a good mix between the score and the foley as well as the voice parts. But we just didn't know what they were saying sometimes. And we got the gist of what they were saying. But several times we turned to each other and said, what was that? And you know, we were both like, I don't know. 
And that, that was one thing that kind of bugged me. Interesting. I did not experience that. I'm wondering if it's your theater. Mm. <laughs> okay. So yeah, maybe I, I'd love to blame them because I would like to be able to catch those lines the second time. Uh, another thing that, you know, seems kind of like a, a problem with my suspension of disbelief is the infinity stone itself. It is the kryptonite for everything and anything that uh, taken to the 10th power. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm not buying it. Like again, it, you know, if Marvel is bad with villains, they're also really bad with what the villain, the villains are using, you know? Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's the obtainium, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's the tesseract. No, I mean, it's the ether. No, no, it's the infinity stone. I get what you were saying earlier, Fizz, about it, it leading up to something with the Infinity Gauntlet, but the way we're getting there and the way we're using them on the way is really not working well. Yeah. We're milking something as simple as a rock that supposedly was, what, forged by ancient godlike beings uh, that, you know, formed the galaxy a long time ago. Yeah. Well, we're, what happened to all these godlike beings if they were so high and powerful because They're they had floating around stones? in space as skulls. I think again, I think maybe I guess, we we get a different backstory. The the th- the story that we actually get is there were you know seven uh, basically zones and they collapsed and formed these stones after the creation of the universe. And some people were able to wield them, but ultimately no one, one person was able to wield them for long. And they went through this thing where they talked about you know at one point there were even a ring of people who were able to hold all their power together, but even they failed, basically pointing out that even people who think they have all the power in the world can't contain these stones by themselves. Right. Uh, so th- these these powerful beings that did wield this power at one time, they eventually succumbed to the, own, the, the power of these stones, which is why they even point out that you don't really want to get any of these stones close together, which, if you remember the scene at the end of... Thor 2, when they bring the ether to the Collector, we basically realize that for a moment there, the Collector is really close to having two of these stones in the same place. And knowing where these stones are is a very important thing. And I I take a little bit, uh, not, not offense, but I, I would I would I would combat anybody who says it's like an unobtainium. I think it's not a plot device. I think this is something that's uh, it's something that's in the comics. They eat, each stone has its own purpose. Um, if you don't read that, uh, the the link that I put in the thing, there there's a stone for time. There's a st- stone for mind control. Uh, a stone, you know, the, each of these stones have their own power. And there's one for travel, which ends up being the tesseract. Notice anytime people touch it, it's not just that they they make them stronger, but that allows people to travel through space. It's what Heimdall uses to fix the uh, the Rainbow Road thing. Heimdall. Heimdall, um, uh, you know, so this one's the one of power. So it's obviously the one that can cause the most destruction. The, the one that does, uh, uh, thought control and stuff is the one that's in Loki's staff. So all all these have different, uh, powers and together, I think we'll see what's also going to solve our, our little Marvel bad guy problem is when we like, I don't think anyone's going to forget Ultron. And no, well, for, I mean, for, furthermore, I don't think anyone will forget Thanos when I'm pretty sure when we see him in Avengers three, um, probably with the infinity gauntlet, uh, completed the infinity huh. gauntlet, which we saw in the first Thor movie without the stones in it. Um, a, a gauntlet that was specifically created to, uh, contain all the stones. So, mm. uh, I, I don't think this is just, uh, a plot device or something convenient. I think this is, uh, specifically thought out and these stones 
actually, if anything, in my opinion, aren't given the gravity that they truly deserve. And I don't think we're going to start to realize that once either Thanos or someone else starts to have more than one of these. Well, and maybe if they gave them more gravity, I would like it better because that's that to me right now. I'm, I'm just I'm not saying that they're not leading up to something greater in the universe. I think absolutely they are. But I feel like right now they're being treated as throwaway things. And that's, well, that's think, really dampening my enjoyment of, of this of the franchise. I think because of that, when once we get to Avengers three, you know, we're like, gosh, how many? We're, we're like six years down the road or something like that, or five years down the road, and we watch Avengers three and we realize how important these stones are. We're going to go back and we're going to watch like the first Thor movie or the first Captain America movie, and we're going to be like, oh my gosh. Or you know, we'll watch Guardians of the Galaxy again, and we'll be like. They just had one of those and they didn't even know what they had, which I think actually puts the the audience in the same place that it puts the Guardians of the Galaxy. It put, you know, Star-Lord and his entire crew were just like, oh, what is this? It glows. That's nice. You know, like that, you know, Rocket even says, like, you still have that thing? You know, it's it's they're trying to get away from it when in reality they want to keep it protected because they don't even they think at the end of this movie, they kind of understand what the power of it is, but they don't really understand what's going to happen if you get all of them together. And so I think it's going to be one of those things that will, will be like, man, I can't even believe uh, how much the, uh, richer this, this story is knowing what is down the road. And hmm. so could be, I, you got well, like me I said, excited there. Yeah. I'm going to say, like I said, I, I'm getting excited about it because I know what the stones can do. Um, and I feel like I have a pretty good idea of where Marvel will be going with this, but I completely understand not seeing them giving it enough importance. But at the same time, I think they're given as much importance as they want the audience to have right now. It's people who you know read the comics or really d- d- dove into what these things mean that it's it's getting excited. I, I'm so excited about Avengers three now more so than I would be just because Avengers three. So. Yeah, huh. we're still like, we haven't even seen Avengers two yet, dude. Exactly. <laughs> um, the only other thing that I want to mention that I didn't like, and then we can go back to talking about how wonderful this movie was because it really was wonderful. Um, but the only other thing that I didn't like was um, I feel like um, Gamora's story was truncated. Like here she is, she's we see her, we're introduced to her as uh, we think she's a bad guy. No, oh, no, it's a switcheroo, and then we're off to the races. Like, and it just felt like. You know, is as good as Mar as as they did with the rest of the good guys and giving them character development. Uh, it 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 didn't feel like they really did a good job with Gamora. Hey TJ, yeah, I want to say something very important here. Do it. I agree with you. Whoa! whoa. Did the space time continuum just whoa. rip apart? I felt a is ripple. This, is this real life? What is this? What is going on? Not not only would I would I say that's true about Gamora, but I would also say that's true for Nebula. So yeah, well, that's kind of one and the same. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was with almost everyone's backstory, you know, given just enough backstory to make me care about the character. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I'm like, why do I care? Or why? Why is Gamora doing what? Like, I had no understanding of her character motivations until like the final act of the film. Yeah, I mean, I felt like uh, we did like her okay. Oh, yeah. But it's just that, like, I wanted to know more about her character like I did the rest of these characters. I wanted some nugget of something that, that, like, but it just felt like (sighs) she was introduced, like I said, as the bad guy. And then, no, whoop, she's the good guy. And that's just, we're just supposed to accept that. Where, you know, like, for instance, with Rocket. 
Um, he obviously is one of our heroes, but he 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 doesn't make a switcheroo, and and you could easily see him not being a hero. Um, and he grudgingly kind of comes to this being a hero. You know, he's like, oh, you know, what the heck? I haven't got that long of a lifespan anyway. You know. <laughs> Um, and, and, and his character totally makes sense in that way. And Gamora's just doesn't. And all of a sudden she's like, you know, she, you know, you've got, um, uh, Star-Lord saying to her, you know, well, we should dance. I, I don't dance. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a warrior. I don't dance. And then it's like, oh, we could, you know, we're going to be like Kevin Bacon, you know, because he told her the Kevin Bacon. So, I mean, I don't know. It just, some of, something about her character was a little bit off. Well, I'll tell you what the, well, okay. This is opinion again. So I, in my opinion, this is what the difference is. This is one of the few issues, kind of like Joe said, you know, when you like a movie so much, you, it almost feels like you're nitpicking. Yes. Yes, um, it does. So really enjoy this film. But one of the things that I had is with the simplicity of the script, there are times when uh, it were really beautifully shown things. But unfortunately, especially at the beginning of this film, we're told a whole bunch of things. And with Gamora's story, as opposed to seeing it, we don't see her abused by Thanos. We don't see her Mm -hmm. uh, corrupted or changed. We just hear her say, let me tell you some backstory. I was, you know, I was, this happened to me that sucked. And now I want to move on. And we're like, okay, I guess so. Same thing we're told with Ronan, which is why we're hard to get behind. We don't see Ronan interacting with his people. We just hear Ronan go, I was naked in a tub. I'm putting armor on (laughs) and I'm really mad at a whole bunch of people. And, yeah. you know, like, yep. okay, much like, you know, when uh, one, one of the most eye-rolling scenes was when Peter Quill is trying to to sell something to the uh, broker. And he's like, oh, yeah, these guys from Ronin were after me. And he's like, Ronin? Blah, 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 blah. I don't want to do anything with Ronin. He's like, who is Ronin? Ro- you don't know who Ronin is? Let me exposition some stuff about Ronin for you. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and I'm like, yeah. really? Uh, you know, it's and so like almost everything we learn about Ronin is told to us, not shown to us. Almost everything we know about Gamora and uh, Nebula is told to us, not shown to us. Like I said, until the very end of the film, and by then it's kind of too late. But everybody yeah. else, we're we're shown, not told. I completely agree, and and this film does have that that show that show and show me, don't tell me problem. Uh, even even with even sometimes though, I think it goes further than that too. Like in the scene uh, where where the uh, rocket disables the gravity everywhere, but in the booth, right, or in the in the thing that they're in. And, mm-hmm. and it's, we get that. I got that. I, I saw that that was what was going on. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. You know? And then all of a sudden Gamora's like, oh, I see what you did. You <laughs> disabled the gravity out there, but not in here. I'm like, really? Come on. Give, yeah. give us a little respect. Well, and that's the other thing. Cause at the end of the film, even though it's been hinted at, I believe three other times, uh, that, the, the 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 I want to call them the Reavers the the Ravagers, um, <laughs> the, Reavers. <laughs> the, the the Ravagers obviously were supposed to, li- to deliver Peter Quill somewhere, but um, they didn't, and it was supposed to be picking up and taking him to his father. We get hinted at I think oh, yeah. two or three times yeah. during the movie, but right at the end of the movie, like in this final scene, it, he's like. Man, aren't you glad we didn't take him to his dad like we were supposed to? Yeah, right. Just in exactly. case you didn't pick up on that. Oh, and by the way, just in case you really are stupid, we think Peter Quill is half alien. Just because yeah. you might be stupid, and we want you to get it. So we I, I got mean, it. They, they were, you know, but in a film that's this fun, I really feel like yeah. nitpicking because there is so many other examples of us being shown and not told. So. 
Yeah, and this film really was a lot of fun. We got to stop trash talking it because it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a yeah, lot of Joe. fun. Yeah, <laughs> Joe. Oh, okay, shutting up now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, really though. I mean, I I loved every second of this film really, except for those parts that we mentioned. <laughs> um, well, two, well, two things I wanted to add to the likes, and one was the cassette player. Like, yes, yes. great, great <laughs> device. There's, I loved the cassette players. I've in never my heard life, of a cassette player working that long, or the magnetic tape <laughs> not wearing out after that many years. But okay, we'll we'll accept Plot that. It, yeah, it was a lot of fun. No, no, I buy that. Everything works better oh, in yeah. space. <laughs> it's, it's space. That's what it is. Yeah. Because hey, I mean, oh, like you can, man. you can, you oh, can man. survive space. Even though space should kill you, you can survive space. Oh, uh, that brought up another dislike. But I said we were going to stop talking about dislikes. <laughs> nope, yep, nope, nope. You cannot I talk know. about no. Yeah, you're done. No. You're done, TJ. We're really. It wasn't you in. that big. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was, and it wasn't. Anyway, moving on. Um, well, it, well, it, going back to characterizations, I, I just want to bring up again. I am Groot and Rocket. I am Groot. That they were a great dynamic duo. I am and Groot. I I don't know what it is, but uh, man, I, I I was really impressed. The, and something that you have talked about, uh, TJ, in your written review and others, I, I see keep bringing this up, that there is more heart and soul and appreciation for what they do in the film in these characters than we have seen in other, you know, other superhero films like what, you know, Superman does in The Man of Steel. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, it has no character development throughout the entire film. And, and Groot is a tree. And he says three words, and he's he's wonderful. He's a wonderful character. He he um, I think I would have to say he's probably my favorite character. And and that was the other really serious and sad moment in this film. Uh, spoiler alert: We're into spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it is when he sacrifices himself. Uh, and I've since read about you know Groot's powers and 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 how he can return. And obviously, we saw a, a hint of that at the end of the film. Although, truthfully, this film was inconsistent about how much it respected the audience. Like, they didn't spell any of that out for us, and that was that gave us great respect. Like, I, I you know, we don't know exactly what was going on. We, is, this, is this Groot, or is this, like, an offshoot of Groot? Is it the same Groot? Will he have the same brain and the same mind? We don't know, and that's, that's good. Like, leave it a mystery. I, I was happy with that. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the character of Groot. Um, and, and believe it or not, I, I know it's just three words, but I felt like, um, surprisingly knowing Vin Diesel that his, the, you know, just his different inflections at different times really brought a lot to that character. Well, what it does is, uh, I've mentioned this on uh, my podcast, but this means that my favorite two Vin Diesel performances are ones where he never appears on screen. (laughs) What's the other one? The Iron Giant. Okay, I haven't seen that. It's only one of the best animated films that's ever been made, TJ. Yeah, wow. I, I knew you were going to say that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that is interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, when I heard Vin Diesel was going to be playing um, Groot, I was like, eh, whatever. But he really, I mean, it was perfect. It was, really was perfect. Um, and, and and the oh man, it really just kind of gets you right here that the the change of line throughout the entire movie. He, I am Groot, you know, and then you know Rocket Rocket's losing it, right? He's he's you know he's bawling and tears are, and he's like, well, why are you doing this? And and you know all of a sudden he's like, we are Groot. I mean that was that was just I mean 
it goes back to something I said last week about, you remember where I was talking about the performance of the guy on stage and he finally, he was very still through most of the performance and he raised his left arm, his right, I can't remember which arm the guy said it was, but it was impactful and just changing that dialogue, that little bit was so impactful. It, it, it was very, very masterful, I, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and even though it's definitely not the first time in cinematic history we've ever seen someone speak in like an, or, you know, like, uh, we, we get this with uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO. You know, R2-D2 speaks, C-3PO is like the only one that can understand him. Right. And so Watch we get this your kind of, language. Yeah, we get this kind of <laughs> comedic kind of thing. So it's, not, it's definitely not the first time it's ever been done, but just the the way it was done with Rocket being able to understand Groot, uh, that was classic. Gosh, there's so many things about this film I like. There's so many one-liners. The entire 80s theme, mm-hmm. like I said, this this almost feels like a love letter to uh, the eighties. It feels like one long, like, you know, 10 ways, you know, you were born in the eighties in a film, you know, yes. Like this is, (laughs) I mean, it's so great. Not only from the references, but the, 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 the cassette tape. I mean, come on guys. I had a, I had that Walkman or something just like it that I went around with and listened to stuff on and had the headphones and, you know, (laughs) well, I mean, I mean, and it's that, and it's, Oh, and it's, you know, it even culminates with the the um, the post credit scene. That's like the ultimate '80s throwback. Um, you know, I love being in the theater for the for the uh, the post credit scene because everyone over probably twenty eight or so completely understood why that scene was hilarious. I've never and seen. I've ne- I don't want to spoil it. I've never seen the movie that we're that, I that we're is referencing. Well, I don't want to spoil the post post credit scene. I mean, you, okay, yeah, but but I've never seen the movie that is is referenced, you know, or or you know, but I knew who the character was. Like it, like it totally is like, oh wow, look at that, you know. <laughs> well, and that's all you really need to know because that movie came out in 1986, technically two years before Peter Quill was taken, which makes it even funnier because hypothetically Peter Quill could have seen that movie. Um, but you know, uh, what, you know what else is interesting is that character that appears in this post credit scene is a Marvel character. Yeah, and that's why he's in there. And people are so used to seeing, you know, the the post credit scene that teased the next movie. I, I really think that I, I'm tired. I don't need that anymore. I'm already on board with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't really need to be teased no, <laughs> into the into the next little bit. I, so I still I'm, like it. I, I think they need to dial it back. And I think that's what they did in this film. Is like you're not getting a teaser for the next movie. You're just getting something fun. Uh, well, and that's the thing because I don't. I, I really have a hard time imagining people like thought like get truly got some of the eighties references with the footloose or the, you know, the John Stamos or the, the <laughs> you know, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. All Ranger these, Rick. <laughs> yeah. The Ranger Rick, you know, all these eighties references. And then they, they have like the most eighties Marvel reference of all time. And there were, like I said, there were teenagers in the, in, in the theater uh, the second time we watched it and they were just like, what, what, that was dumb. I don't get it. You know? And I'm just like, well, you know, this is like I said before. This is a love letter to the children of the '80s, and I felt very loved. Yeah, I, I felt completely embraced. Uh, you know, it was a movie. It was a movie made for us. So it's probably one of the great reasons the critics like this film. It could yeah. be. It very well could be. It's it's a it's a epitome of uh, target demographic. I mean, you know, you're you're looking for that male, what like eighteen to forty five. I mean, two thirds of that demographic is. 
right before or right after of the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, so. and, you know, that you, you've got a point there, Joe, too, when, you know, when you talk about the critics, because I would say that the majority of the critics are our age, roughly, or older. I mean, Joe, you're, you're in your late twenties, right? You know, and I'm, I'm in my early thirties and Fizz, I think you are too. I think most critics, critics are our age and on up to 40, basically. T- typically speaking, there are older critics and there are younger mm. critics, but I think the bulk of them are in that kind of age range. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I can see it. So, like I said, outside of the 80s thing, which I wanted to make sure we hit on real nice and, and tough, there were just so many scenes that stick with me in this movie. Yep. Um, the, the ones where it gets almost serious, but then they then they kind of put that joke right at the end. Uh, like when Star-Lord does save Gamora and they're like, you know, wrestling on top of each other. And she's like, what happened? And it's the scene where you think, oh, man, this is the kiss scene. But once again, James Gunn kind of James Gunn's the scene. <laughs> yes, yes and, you he know, does. You know, it was and, very heroic. Yeah, I was. <laughs> there's something inside me. I reached in and it was just so heroic, you know, and it, it <laughs> was she's perfect. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you know, there's that. There's lots of scenes. That, the, the, that the scene really- with with Bautista, where um, where you know, um, Nebula's monologuing, and then all of a sudden she's in the middle, mid mid monologue, mid sentence, a <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, Bautista's like, no one talks to my friends that way, you know, exactly, because he just got done talking, you know, about how there's friends. I, I mean, the, the thing is, like, almost no one says Drax is their favorite character, and part of that's because I didn't get Drax at first, and like probably his best line where he's like. You know, uh, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would, I would catch, catch it. You know, like that's when I realized what Drax's character was. You know, before then I was like, why is it just because it's Batista that he's delivering all these lines so laconic? And then I was like, oh, I get it. And so it made the second viewing even funnier. Um, he's like, I'm going to keep this knife. You know, uh, he's I like, like this knife. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like very straightforward. I mean, uh, so, you know, there's that realization moment of who Drax is that when Drax is, you know, uh, saying like, you know, when, how long have you been able to do that? And he's like, I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be, I am Groot. Uh, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, Chris, Chris Pratt in this movie. Oh, uh, awesome. I mean, between this and the Lego movie, I mean, like Chris Pratt is—he's going places. Yeah, he's—he's—he's he's, going to be in Jurassic Park next year. Um, I, I am very impressed. I mean, I've really liked him on Parks and Rec, and just to see him kind of coming into his own, uh, being a little more diverse than just like the the pure idiot that he is on Parks and Rec <laughs> uh, is really refreshing. I think. If he wasn't born to, to play Star-Lord because Star-Lord's supposed to be some other way, I don't want to watch it. I love him as Star-Lord the way he is. Uh, you know, I think the I think the the casting was great. I love the scene at the end where they uh, where he grabs oh gosh, when he grabs the stone because he distracts him. The look on Ronan's face um is like I'm like that is that is exactly the look I have right now because this is the most awkward scene I've seen in a long time. And then he's like, oh, I'm distracting you, you dummy, or whatever. Uh, oh, my gosh. That that entire scene was great. Uh, the one where they, where they finally join hands. I, I love it. Totally worked for me. Yeah, totally. So, like I said, and, there's so, so many scenes that are going to stick with me from this movie. I will not forget this movie in two weeks like I have some of the other films that I've seen this no, summer. No, no, not at all. And and the funny thing is I I listened to a couple of reviews and, and read a couple of reviews of this movie before this podcast. And, and – uh, Several like like I think three out of four were saying like they didn't like the scene at the end the end end of the film when when uh, Ronan comes out of the vehicle and he's about to destroy everybody 
Like, it's like, oh, man, we already, like, like why are we, like, we've already won, we've already ended the movie, but now it's back, and we got to do it again. Like, you, you know, I felt like, did we watch the same movie? Because that was, like, the best part of the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't get that at all. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, so. I had to look at this quote, so I made it right. I'm distracting you, you turd. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, he, when he's flying up, and he's like, hey, they got my message. Oh gosh, we, I was laughing so hard. Yes, we can't. It, it's it's just it crass enough that we can't repeat it, or I, I don't want to repeat it here on the podcast. But yes, that that was pretty funny. Speaking of well, which, speaking of, well, I was going to just add to that. Can I add something, TJ? I oh, really want to. Go ahead. Speaking go ahead. of potty jokes, yes, go ahead. Yeah, you know, uh, it makes you reconsider what exactly Ronan was flushed out of at the beginning of the movie in that pit. <laughs> okay. You, you've you've kind of stopped the podcast cold there, Joe. Sorry, sorry. It's just like the <laughs> moment that, you know, Biz had to bring up Turd, I had to think like, oh, so that explains the metaphor at the beginning of the film. He was coming out of the toilet. Oh, okay. Mm, that's what I do. So um, so speaking of that, I, I did try something new today. Earlier today, I, I tweeted uh, from the movie by the count that uh, um, I tweeted, uh, what did I tweet here? Let me pull it up. I said, trying something new here, recording episode 100 of the podcast tonight, what would you like to know from us about Guardians of the Galaxy? And we only got two responses, one on Twitter and one on Facebook. Uh, the first one from Benjamin Curley, um, and his uh, username is at Benjamin Curley, uh, C-U-R-L-E-E, if you want to go look up him. Um, he says, what did you think about the increased crassness of Guardians of the Galaxy? It bugged me more than other Marvel films. Uh, what did you guys think about that? <laughs> Hmm. It's really hard to gauge uh, crassness for a quality of crassness. Like crassness is crassness, but yeah. you have to accept that a lot of the comedy is a you know uh, a byproduct of the crassness. And you know it does bug me when a film uses uh, vulgar language and violence needlessly and ineffectively to not poor, you know to just poorly communicate. Uh, a good story, you know? And so oftentimes you, you see where an okay film is brought down by bad production qualities and bad scripting and bad execution, bad acting. And it often goes back to the fact that, you know, basically it's a device, you know, actors are devices. The props are devices. The dialogue is devices. All of these put together to try and sum up entertainment that is greater than the sum of its parts. So, I don't typically try to keep track of the amount of negative content that I find in a film. I try to pay attention to the quality of the experience with or without the content and ask myself, well, does the content get really in the way of appreciating the finer aspects of the film? And if it does not, am I going to let the movie be brought down by content when it really doesn't deserve to be brought down by that content. And I feel like this is a film that it rises above the crassness. It's yeah. better than the sum of that particular component. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of along the same lines, but I want to get Fizz's take on this too. And I, I kind of know where he's going to go with this, but go ahead, Fizz. Well, I mean, since you know, I mean, well, <laughs> like I, I don't enjoy crassness for the sake of crassness. Right. It's why, it's why I typically don't like, most American made comedies. Uh, like I'm not an incredibly mature person on the whole. <laughs> so I like, you know, fart jokes as much as the next guy. But when your entire comedy is based on that, 
it, I, I want something more, which is why I tend to lean towards, uh, uh, you know, Edgar Wright films for comedy. You know, there's, mm-hmm. so, there's something else there behind some of the, the potty humor. You like um, smart comedy. Yeah, I like smart comedy. I, like I said, I don't mind the occasional uh, joke, but it has to kind of have a purpose or it has to come from a character that makes sense. Um, not when it comes from every character. I'm like, well, and I'm just watching a bunch of idiots. And yeah, yep. that typically do- typically doesn't work for me. There are a couple exceptions. But like um, there are some there are some fairly crass, uh, you know, depending on where your meter is, uh, comments in this film. Some of and, them you kind of truncated for us just a minute ago. That's right. Uh, um, and so but almost all the more crass comments in this movie come from a character who is being shown to be a fairly immature character. Right. Um, who is, you know, basically a man child to a certain degree. I mean, like Peter Quill gets most of the crass comments. He gets most of the, I was taken from earth when I was a boy. I didn't really have parents. You know, I didn't have anyone say, don't tell, don't say that. Don't not say, you know, or say it this way. So he says whatever is on his mind. And he says it in a, a very typically juvenile way, even though he typically has a, a lot of heart as well. And I, so I think it's part of his character development. I don't mind the crassness. I think in general, Marvel does a pretty good uh, job of not having a lot of crass humor, but having a lot of clever situational humor. Um, right. Once again, not always the case, but for the most part, this one does have more of that. Like I said, that crass or that potty humor than most of the other films. But then again, this has a character that's more immature than any other Marvel character we've seen to this point. So because of the situation, it doesn't bother me. It's not what the film is going for. It's not what it hinges on. And it's not the only thing that this film has going for it. So, yeah. And that's interesting uh, because you, you would say then that it does seem to have more crass humor to you. I didn't pick up on the fact that it necessarily had any more than any other Marvel film. Well, like I said, it depends on where you put that bar and, you know, I, I think I, I think it's legitimate to say it does because some of the, the choices of words they use, yeah. um, some of the situations that they're actually making fun. Of, it's not like, oh, this is a funny situation um, that we turn into a fart joke. But, I mean, you know, he has that like the thing that I put in the show notes. So, you know, if he turned on the black light, it would be like a Jackson Pollock painting hey, you know, that that that's some implication there that'll probably go over some of the younger kids heads. <laughs> right. But yes. I mean, it's, it's fairly crass and it insinuates something, but it also develops the character a little bit. Yeah. So. And, and, and to me, this is kind of where I fall on that issue. Um, and, and, and not that I don't, you know, as a Christian, um, and, and as one who has my own opinions on all these things, uh, th- that factors in, uh, I have much more trouble with actually actual blaspheming God's name. But it's not that I wouldn't. It's not even that I wouldn't watch a film that did that because I watch many that do. The question to me is always, how is that portrayed? Am I aware of of, of it and and that sort of thing? And 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 I felt like it was all very appropriate in this film. Um, I didn't feel like there was anything in this film that was like, oh, I just you know that shouldn't be there. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would I would say that th- there was even a chance uh, when uh, the the collector's assistant grabbed the, the infinity stone, the infinity stone of power and basically exploded and blew up the collector's lab. And we get this shot of Gamora and uh, Peter Quill. And he's like, what the f- Right. And then he just stops. You know, yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't finish it. I mean, like, you know, it understands the audience. It, it, it gets the point across without having to, you know, go all the way. And I think some films would just be like, whatever, just say it. We can say it twice before we get a rated R rating. So, you know. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, all right. And then the other, there's actually two questions asked by Mackenzie Evans Mart on Facebook uh, on a comment on that post that I read a minute ago. Uh, the first question is, do Marvel films now have their own star rating? I'm not even quite sure what, what she means by that. Just that overall in general, or, 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 or are we rating Marvel films on a different scale? I, I'm a little confused by the question. I, I want to say that let, let's answer her question uh, both ways. <laughs> um, well, so my answer is no, Marvel films do not get their own scale. They're either good or bad films. Um, or, but if we're giving like the universe, like do Marvel films now have their own star rating? Like as a whole, do we star rate them? I, I also don't do that. Well, do, does it to me? And we make comparisons. You know, I, we, we draw comparisons and we talk about the overall whole of the, you know, the Marvel studios work, but we, we don't score them as a whole and, you know, create averages or anything. Not really. Yeah. I was wondering if she was actually saying like, this movie is so good. Like, and, and some of the Marvel movies so recently are so good. Like they get their own star rating. So like, you know, you typically, uh, you know, one to five star or out of five stars, like all the Marvels, they get us, they get a six star, like a Marvel mm. star for how good they are. Um, no, I mean, I feel like that that basically makes your scale uh, unusable on un, uh, well, un, yes, un, practically. But I think she's well, like I said, I think she's using a little bit of hyperbole, yeah. to 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 point out how good some of these films have been. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I, I, I was just a little confused by that question. Um, the other question makes much more sense to me that she asked: Does it feel like it fits right at home with the rest of the MCU? And that's a very interesting question. Um, yes and no. Uh, I think that it stands out in a good way. Uh, but at the same time, it sets up a lot of stuff that we're going to see later on. And um, it's tied to the rest of the MCU in that, um, you know, we we see the guy who uh, got the Infinity Stone at the end credits of, a, of the previous film. Um, and we know that we're in the same universe. Uh, we, we get a mention of the realms that, that Thor has told us about. Um, and I think that we're going to see much more connection down the road. So it, 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 it does kind of feel like it's, it, it's at home in the rest of the, in the in MCU, but at the same time it doesn't. And that's also a good thing. Does that make any sense? Uh, did I answer that question? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. <laughs> well, no, it was, I think, I think it was, I think this film was refreshing, especially with the heaviness of phase two to get a little something that was out of the norm, but had just enough, uh, of its tentacles touching back to the Marvel cinematic universe that it doesn't completely leave us not understanding what's going on. Yeah. So Joe, any final thoughts on that second question? I don't usually, uh, you know, associate one Marvel film to another when I'm watching it for the emotion of the moment. So when I'm watching the Avengers, I'm not thinking too hard and long about where, you know, how does this relate better to Thor's first film and how does this expand his character and whether or not it's doing a good service or not and stuff like that. I just watch it and I enjoy it in isolation of itself. And then more as a reviewer in passing later, um, I'm just thinking about the movies. I'm thinking about, huh, well, it's interesting to note that the different directors have treated these characters in different ways. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, so we see how sometimes they let Loki shine. They may give him some real great character moments. And then other times they don't. And it, I think it has a lot to do with the screenwriters, the director of that particular film or something. And with the Guardians of the Galaxy, it's sort of like we just went down into the Hobbit hole. 
You know, there's this little special dwelling place where, whoa, all these things and characteristics that don't seem to have anything to do with the rest of Middle Earth. This has nothing to do with the rest of the Marvel Universe. What's happened here? And really, we're just getting uh, to see more of the universe exposed than we ever saw before. It's been brought up by many good critics that uh, when you are generally familiar with superheroes, uh, you typically don't come across a character like Thor. And when you come across him and you realize, wait a minute, he's supposed to have like godlike powers and characteristics that are very magical. And that's very unlike Marvel's uh, universe. Why are they doing that? They don't usually incorporate um, you know, magic. They, they come up with sci-fi excuses for what they can do and get away with. And what we've seen with the movies is they've actually taken more of that approach with Thor. They try to irrationalize it away and give it another angle to make it appeal more to the sci-fi element. But there is still a quality to Thor that feels, you know, supernatural or magical, uh, like something out of Narnia. And for that reason... It still feels like it's hard for uh, you know the audience to appreciate Thor as well as they might if he were a bit more like Iron Man or something else like that. Um, and so there's going to be these parts that seem to stand out, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that we're going to have anomalies in this universe because there's a heck of a lot of them clearly already. Uh, it's not a problem for me. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's okay. It's, it's, it's just fine. Don't, don't overanalyze it. We're talking about superhero films. If you overanalyze it, if you start overthinking this, it falls apart when you consider that they're wearing tights. <laughs> like, why, why, why would you do that? You know, just don't go why, there. Why, why, All right. Well, um, we're running pretty long, so let's go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, let's, let us ask the question, what is our star rating of this particular film? Which does not get its own scale. It is rated on with the rest of the films of the world. Uh, <laughs> Fizz. Um, uh, Fizz is making me laugh. He's typing stuff in the show notes. Um, so I would rate this film four out of five stars. Um, if I remember right, I rated Captain America the Winter Soldier four and a half. And, and, uh, or did I? Or was it four? And I know Avengers was four and a half. Um, uh, I think you rated uh, Captain America four. Because I had, a, I had a particular question that I had to ask yes, you. Yes, yes, let's not go there. Um, I, I've been considering, I would have to consider then in retrospect, I feel like I maybe even mentioned this, like maybe retroactively upgrading my star rating uh, of Captain America the Winter Soldier. Um, so, yeah, this movie I feel like is a well-deserved four out of, out of five stars. Um, if there was a, if there was a 4.25, I might give it that. Um, I'm not sure it's worthy of a four and a half. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, if you haven't seen this film, shame on you. Yes, I did. I did. I, I was just looking uh, while I was talking. I did retroactively upgrade Captain America the Winter Soldier to four and a half. So, and I feel like that's fair because I did like Captain America the Winter Soldier a little bit better. And 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 as a, the more I thought about it, the more I like it just about as much as the Avengers. So, there you go. Mm. So four for this film, and then four and a half for the previous film that Marvel came out with this year. All right, uh, Fizz. I. Thought this was worthy of four and a half stars, and that that's perfectly acceptable. I do not fault you. Yeah, I, I also rated Captain America four and a half stars. And if I had to to you know compare them, like at some point, you know, we're gonna do our top whatever 
at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I would say that Captain America, the first Avenger for me edges out guardians of the galaxy because Wait. guardians does stumble a couple places in the script. Captain America, but, the first Avenger or Captain. America I mean, one? I mean the, the winter soldier. Okay. I'm okay. so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, now given, I really like the first Avenger as yeah, well. I did too, um, but, but, um, I would say this year, you know, I, even though they would both get four and a half star, four uh, four and a half stars from me, I would probably put the Winter Soldier just a touch higher, almost an infinitesimal mm-hmm. uh, bit uh, above this film because, like I said, even though th- this does have some script problems, the the things that are done right in this film are done right so well that it makes up for, I, I would say, some of the nitpicky things that we we, we picked out. And yeah, if it weren't for those things, then this would have been an incredibly almost perfect film for me. I was going to say maybe a five star for you. Yeah. I mean, but like I said, th- those would have, it would have had to fix a, a number of little small things throughout. So, yeah. Uh, well, and it's interesting. Um, I didn't make this comparison and I meant to where, uh, this is such an entirely different film and, and so good for so many different reasons than Captain America, the uh, winter soldier, which is the previous film this year from Marvel. Um, where, where the form, you know, where the winter soldier was, uh, very serious with a few funny moments. This is very funny with a few serious moments, you know, it, it's just polar opposite and it, and both of them work on their own levels. So what just happened? Yeah. You, uh, you something kind of went wrong there. Fizz. Can you say, can you talk again? <laughs> uh, it was, it was very refreshing for phase two. There we go. Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. Something weird is going on with your mic there. Fizz. Uh, it's probably just my signal or signal to you or something it sounded like a connection got loose and then it fixed itself anyway, oh. anyway joe let's not get bogged down there joe we, we really need to upgrade from shortwave radio <laughs> <laughs> i uh i'm kind of stuck between a four star and a four and a half star rating for this film because uh it's really delightful but it's also borderline great uh I, I, there are some wow moments there's also just some you know general disappointments with bad guys consistently throughout the film and you know i think that uh yeah i'm definitely going to recommend this movie to all my friends i definitely don't think it's going to be for everybody if if you're not that into fun. aliens and sci-fi <laughs> and having fun yeah if you hate your life <laughs> don't see this movie <laughs> yeah i <laughs> think that that's kind of true if you're oh, holding man. on to some bitter resentment that Fox basically had a movie that was very similar to this and completely screwed it up, uh, then probably don't get to see this movie because it's just going to make you more bitter. Yeah. I'm, I, mm. Yeah, I don't even understand what, you, what you're talking about there. Oh, did you not see my cartoon at the bottom of the notes? Oh, uh, let's see. Guardians of the Galaxy just made a ton of money. We need a show just like that with a team of, of criminals. Who saved the universe? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. we had a show like that. We called it Firefly. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> wow, that's good. I, I'm going to make sure that makes it into the uh, show notes. Uh, yeah, that is really good. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that, I think that kind of brings us to the close of our uh, podcast. So. Um, I want to thank you guys for being here on episode 100. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you put up with my uh, reminiscing over the previous clips at the beginning of the uh, of the show. So thank you, My- uh, Mikey. I know especially you were probably like, ah, yawn, boring. Yawn, boring. Hey, man, it's 100 episodes. You earned it. You can do whatever you want. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And Joe, thank you for coming back, man. It's a lot of fun. Oh, a pleasure, TJ. Thanks for having me back. 
Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is uh, somehow or another, Lucy did not get on our Trello board, and I really have wanted to see it. But at the same time, we had already scheduled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I I, I hold out no hope for. <sighs> that um, was a big mistake. <laughs> what uh, I don't know. Let, let, let's leave. Uh, let's not tell our listeners what we're going to review next week. We'll review something. And uh, we'll figure it out offline. Dun, so, dun, dun. Yeah. In the meantime, Joe, where would people find your cool self on the internet? <laughs> um, Nowhere. Yeah, most- <laughs> <laughs> He's a shadow. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah, you can find the mini adventures of Joe Darnell on Twitter. My handle is underscore Joe Darnell. And... I also write some stuff at joedarnell.com. All right. Fizz? Well, uh, if you'd like to follow me and my antics on Twitter, you can follow me at at Fizzification. You can also follow the podcast that I do uh, called Real World Theology on Twitter at Real World Theo. That's R-E-E-L, World Theo. You can visit the site, realworldtheology.com. We have a podcast where we examine popular movies that are shaping culture, just examining the themes, examining how much we love them, examining why they're shaping culture and why people are watching them. Uh, Like I said, uh, just taking things one step further from what you typically get on a, uh, a normal movie review podcast. So if that sounds interesting, check it out. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're at the website, whatever. Come check us out. Uh, link up with me. Ask me questions. Tell me movies that you want to hear. I, I just love talking about film. Yes. Film for sure. <laughs> All right. Digitals. <laughs> if you want to follow me you can do that at twitter uh, i'm tj draper pro over there on twitter um also of course be sure to check out the website moviebyte m-o-v-i-e-b-y-t-e dot com if you want to get the show notes for this particular episode this 100th spectacular episode you can go to moviebyte.com slash mb podcast slash 100 and there will be all the show notes for all the links of the cool things that we talked about i'm going to put that comic that we were just talking about in there uh it's a wonderful little comic uh and uh that's it for us we're out of here thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week bye guys bye bye